Give me a go, no go for launch. Just when you think you're out, they pull you back in. I was gonna say something that was not true. I, I don't know why we do these. Let's make film history. We are uh, go for launch. Welcome back, everybody, to the Almost Sideways podcast. We are so glad you are joining us once again for another episode. This is episode 150 of our show here. That's kind of crazy to think about. We have so much fun doing this. Uh, we're recording this on Saturday night, October 30th, 2021, at 8 p.m. Pacific time. I'm your host, Terry Plucknett. Joining me, Todd Plucknett, Zach Saltz. Todd, did did Scott Frost lose his job today? Yeah, I think he I, did. I think he did, too. I think he did, too. I mean, I mean, if he can't if he can't beat Purdue at home, and you're wrapping up the year with Wisconsin, Iowa, and Ohio State. Well, I, mean, I think it, it, I think his loyalty to Adrian Martinez lost his job, and that probably happened like two years ago. But it like today was the end of that. It was like okay, this is an yeah. issue, and it's never going to. Fix. Adrian had a horrible had a horrible game. Yeah. And and it felt like that they stopped trying. By the end of it, they they just they they kind of gave up, and uh, yeah, um, Dansby, nice. Um, okay, it's, but, I mean, uh, it's just yeah, I can't can't wait for the Matt Campbell era, like starring Spencer Rattler in <laughs> in Nebraska, you know. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, because I mean, the, you could say this is his best team he's had and he's going to end up with the worst record. They're going to be 3 and 9. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it, it, I mean it it's kind of astonishing how he could be that much worse than like what they thought the bottom was with Bill Callahan. He is that much worse just yeah. because he of one score games. <laughs> and and this is and but this is probably the best the most talented roster since it's because they're all 60 or seniors Polini. they're all guys that he didn't recruit well there's that too well geez guys it was fun listening into the husker talk today i know that's a I wrap know. we could talk about kansas i mean they were good last <laughs> week right <laughs> <laughs> they always they always play oklahoma tough at home because i think oklahoma oklahoma never takes them seriously at home we could talk about the ducks how they gave up a bunch of garbage time points to colorado and costing them a chance in the playoff we that's do that true too. yeah but yeah a lot of uh a lot of backdoor cover action there but what i want to talk about what are you guys going to dress up as for halloween that's that's what i thought you were going to lead in with terry that's a much well, more topical I mean, question that that is a much more topical question because we um, all know we, we'd love to dress up I mean, I'm, I don't I mean, really I'm going to the a... Seahawks game. I'm not one of those crazy people that's going to dress up like a gargoyle or something, but I mean, <laughs> I don't know. I think going to a Seahawks game is cause for dressing up. Like, I don't, I don't have a plan for a costume, but I will say my kids, this is the best thing ever. So independently, they each decided on their costume without consulting with each other. And my six-year-old son decided he, in the last, like, month or so, he's lost his two front teeth. So he decided he wants to be a tooth for Halloween. And then That's my two-year-old brilliant. daughter decided she wanted to be a fairy. So we have a tooth and a fairy. I mean, it's kind of perfect. And they did, it was, like, completely coincidence. 
it was so amazing. you should be the tooth fairy like uh <laughs> like the rock in that Just movie dress up like Dwayne johnson in the movie there we go there we go <laughs> Well, I was going to. Well, I was going to suggest, you know, we're all, all three of us are white guys who are almost forty, so we. I think we're contractually obligated to dress as Ted Lasso for Halloween, but mm. I think short of that, my original design was to go as Adam Sandler and Uncut Gems, and Samantha was going to go as the Julia Fox character, but right. instead of the oh, right. Furby, I was going to hold the Criterion Uncut Gems, but sadly they they delayed that release. <laughs> but uh, there's they always did. next year. <laughs> all right. What are we drinking today? Zach, what do you got? To commemorate the end of uh, October, uh, I'm having one or two or three or four final Oktoberfests, depend, depending on how well or how horrible this uh, Top Gun rewatch goes. I mean, first time watch for you, so. That's true. All right, Todd, what do you got? Uh, I had sushi for lunch, so I'm drinking sake some more. This is sakatini with a little bit of uh, onion juice in there, so... Cheers. Very nice. Very nice. So I went to the brewery today. I had to look up the name here. So uh, the one I got is out of Revision Brewery in Sparks, Nevada. And it's the Dr. Lupulin. It's a triple IPA, and um, which means it's super bitter. But the main reason I got it is this bad boy is 11.3 alcohol. Nice. Yeah, I mean, that's just, and it's, it's smooth, and it's good, and it doesn't taste that strong. It's a dangerous one. This so. sake is 20% alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like it has an EKG monitor on the label there. I don't know, I mean, you can't actually read it. It says chum chum rum or something, but, you know. <laughs> Ridgewalker has wine on tap with a lower alcohol content than this beer. I'm just disappointed none of us were drinking Budweiser like uh, they were drinking in Maverick's Bar. <clears throat> or or a Coca-Cola. Yeah. Or Coors, because that was definitely prevalent in last night in Soho. Or, or Jaeger. Yeah. yeah or, that would yeah. have been a good one. Yeah, we should that, all have that done blue a Jaeger drink. bomb before this started. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. Make sure you're subscribing, rating, reviewing all over the place. You can find our podcast anywhere uh, you listen to podcasts. Uh, find all the information at almostsideways.com. Okay, that's out of the way. Let's talk about what we've been watching, and we are going to go to Zach first. All right, so uh, in honor of talking about Last Night in Soho, uh, I thought another uh, film that deals with duality doppelgangers female identity and maybe two different people really being part of the same persona i thought it was a perfect opportunity to break out one of my recent criterion purchases which is Krzysztof kieslowski's 1991 uh film the double life of veronique if we can't want to call this a milestone review it's the 30-year anniversary of the official polish submission to the 1991 best international award category uh but it, it was not nominated uh but it, this is a film uh that stars irene jacob who was the star of uh one of the red white blue films i think it was white i'm not sure maybe red i don't know uh i, I should have looked that up uh and it, she plays a dual role in this movie. She is both uh, Veronica, who is Polish in the movie, and also Veronique, who is French. 
If you're not listening carefully, you don't know which one is which, but I'm sure if you're Polish or French, it's easier to figure out which one is which because they look the same. Anyway, these two women never really encounter each other, but they kind of sense each other's presence. There's one, they're essentially the same person. There's one scene where they kind of have a chance encounter on the street where one of them takes a picture of the other. I don't know. I mean, look, I, I, I like Kieslowski a lot as a director. The Decalogue is one of my all-time favorite films. This one was a little disappointing to me. I mean, it kind of just sort of felt like he saw Irene Jacob and was like, I need to photograph this lady. She's incredibly good looking. <laughs> I kind of feel like watching uh, uh, the, uh, the the Bello Noiseau's movie with uh, Emmanuel Bayard and the Jacques Rivette movie. These, this would make a good double feature because it's like, does the emperor have any clothes? Does the main actress have any clothes? Not a whole lot. It's a pretty good movie, but uh, I gotta say, uh, it's probably not aged particularly well, especially because Harvey Weinstein was one of the, yeah, he, he's a part of the movie. I mean, he uh, was a, it, it was a Miramax kind of international release. But as it is, it's an interesting movie. I can't explain it at all. Veronica and Veronique are the same person, or are they or aren't they? I didn't really care by the end of it. But I'll go three stars. Why not? Because Kieslowski was a was a good director. I don't think I've ever seen a Kieslowski film. That's a disappointment. Uh, you should watch the Decalogue because uh, yeah, it's it's I know. A, it's. I mean, listen, I've had to watch the first two episodes of Band of Brothers and the first two episodes of The Right Stuff and the first two episodes of Dexter. That adds up to almost all the episodes of the Decalogue. No? I'm sorry. It's somewhere in that area. You watch all of Band of Brothers. I'll go out of my way to, to watch the deck. Like, you watch all of Band of Brothers. I'll go out of my way to watch the whole Decalogue. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm closer to that than, than you are at this point. True. All right, Todd, you're next. All right, my Matt Dillon movie of the week was from 1994, directed by John Madden. It is called Golden Gate, which uh, is obviously set in San Francisco. Uh, Matt Dillon plays a 1950s FBI agent named Kevin Walker, and his first big job is to root out all the communists in uh, the, the Chinatown area. He sort of, like, expands upon some, like, really shady information he got. He makes an arrest and he sends like an innocent man away for like 10 years and out of guilt he seeks out that guy's daughter and he inevitably sort of like falls in love with her uh the she's played by joan chen uh the movie is sort of like a film noir kind of thing it tries to be a 1950s movie uh, but it plays with the narration almost in a way like little children does it sort of becomes like a character in the movie which is a little strange because i've never seen a noir like that um, but it's absolutely a 90s movie and its sensibilities. It, it treats all the tough guys like they're characters and good fellas. Like Bruno Kirby is in the movie, if that tells you anything. I actually miss that guy. He was a really great actor. Um, Terry Polo all, all, is not, and she still is not. Like, if she was bad in Meet the Parents, she's really bad in this. Like, there's one scene where, where Matt Dillon's trying to realize that uh, the, mis the mistakes he made and his priorities are all backwards, and she just plays it like this, like Michelle Pfeiffer Scarface or like, um, Daryl Hannah and Wall Street kind of channeling like really bland, <laughs> dead-eyed, horrible performance. Like trying to be an old classic Hollywood actress, it, it was awful. Like I don't, I don't know, I don't know why she was ever a thing, but I mean she's really bad. But I mean, it tra it really tries to be a '50s movie, but it's not. They had to have known that. Matt Dillon is really good, except he was supposed to be 22 when this was filmed, and I think he was like 32. Uh, Consul Han is the guy who gets sent away from prison, the guy from Rush Hour. Uh, Terry obviously knows who that is. Uh, I should call yeah, him Consul yeah. Han. But, <laughs> but um, he's, always fun to, he's always fun to see. He really is against type in this. Like, I've never seen him play anything like that before. And the movie is kind of silly. Uh, the melodrama works, like, 
kind of sporadically, I guess. It wasn't what I was expecting from the future, like, very British, best picture winning director, John Madden, but I don't know what the movie truly is, but I think I kind of like it, and I'm giving it two and a half stars, which is, seems like every movie I watch that has Matt Dillon in it. All right, so Terry, what's the John Madden joke you were going to make? Or can I make mine first? Go for it. Go I was going to say, was was Brett Favre not available? That's why he had to go with uh, Matt Dillon in the lead role? Uh, I mean, well, they did star in that one movie together, right? That's true. He had a, <laughs> he had an insider connection. Now, why wasn't that directed by John Madden? No, that, I mean, now we're, yeah, now we're... Or John Carney. <laughs> Too busy kicking field goals. Yeah, that's true. Uh, no, I was just simply going to say I didn't know that that director existed before Shakespeare in Love, so to hear about a film he made before that is interesting. Yeah, I, I never seen a movie he made before that either. Alright. So now my anniversary watch, my Oscar anniversary watch, I've already told Todd about it because this was quite the adventure to find. Uh, and I, I texted Todd like a week and a half ago saying, I think I finally found the first one I'm not going to be able to get to. Um, but I did. I, I found it. Todd suggested YouTube, so I went to YouTube to look for it, and nothing had subtitles on it, which was kind of depressing. Um, I, I went to Amazon, and the best I could find is a DVD on sale for $100 used, um, and nothing at the library. And then I went to Just Watch, because that's where you find all your streaming stuff, and Just Watch doesn't have a page for it. So, I was like, okay, so what am I going to do? So, I just started Googling around, and apparently Apple TV Plus had it. So, um, it was going to be $4 to rent or $6 to buy, so I just bought it. Uh, this is from 2001. It is uh, one of the nominees for Best Documentary that year. It is called Promises. And this is a movie. There are three directors listed on IMDb for it. Easy um, Goldberg, Justine Shapiro, and Carlos Bolado. But BZ Goldberg is really the one that is the teller of the story. And this, uh, so BZ Goldberg is a, um, is a Jewish man, a Jewish American who grew up in Israel. And he decides to go back um, kind of in the mid-90s, between 95 and 98. And he interviews uh, seven local children, uh, some are Israeli, some are Palestinian, to get their perspective and opinion on what is going on in that region and the whole conflict between the Israelis and the Palestinians. Um, the vibe of it really takes on kind of a, um, an up series vibe where it's just kind of a guy interviewing some kids, except instead of just talking about growing up in Britain, like the up series, it's talking about this conflict. Like one of the first things you hear is there's a set of twins that are interviewed uh, their names are Daniel and Yarko, and uh, they're these super tall, lanky volleyball players that are like 10 years old, and they, um, and the first thing they talk about is which bus line they take to school, and they have to take this one and not the other one, because if they take the other one, that one gets bombed all the time. And, and so, like, th this is the vibe that of what, what they're dealing with, and then he goes out and goes into some of the Palestinian, um, refugee camps and you learn a whole lot about the conflict throughout the, the telling of the story too and and you uh, hear the stories of, of some of the people out there and how really they're saying a lot of the same things just from the opposite point of view and the opposite perspective uh, at the end you kind of get some um, 
some unifying moments. Uh, there's this one kid. His name is oh, I think it I think it was Shlomo. He was um, an American living in Jerusalem. Uh, his father is very very traditional Jew, and uh, and so he he uh, is one that wears all the um, all the regular or the the very traditional dress and things like that, and he, even so much that uh, he can skip out on the mandatory military uh, uh, service because he's studying uh, scripture. Anyways, he has a moment where they ask him, would you ever want to meet or do you know any Palestinian kids? And he's like, no, I don't really think I would. And even though there's some right down the street and they're talking in this courtyard and a Palestinian kid walks up and starts like staring at him three feet from him while he's talking to him. And they end up in the middle of this interview having a burping contest. And, and just like little things like that to show that, that they're unifying. And then two of the or uh, the twins actually meet up with one of the Palestinian kids who is also an athlete. And they spend a day together and learn that they're, they're pretty much the same. They're just on two separate sides of this thing. And it, it's, it's a really beautiful, powerful movie. Uh, you learn a lot about if you don't know a whole lot other than that the Israelis and Palestinians are always fighting. Uh, you get to hear it kind of from this child perspective, which is really, really fascinating. It was a time of relative peace between the two sides. And uh, and so that kind of plays a role in it as well, that they talk about what it was like before when it was bad. And now looking back on it, it was about to get bad again after that. So. Uh, three and a half stars, really cool movie, and I'm really sad it's hard to find because uh, it it's one that's worth uh, worth watching and worth catching, even though it's 20 years old. So, would it be your choice for the second place winner of the document best documentary in 2001? Because we all know the best one, which actually won that year. Oh, uh, what was the best one that won that year? Murder on a Sunday Morning. Oh yes, yeah, it, it's it's in second for me right now and so i've i've watched four of them now so murder on a sunday morning is one um and promises is second i'd probably say war photographer is third and children underground is fourth and i don't know what the fifth is but i'll be watching it some some point this year well at least we know like all the streaming services around now like we won't have a problem finding these movies in 20 years that are coming out now all these great documentaries absolutely yeah i mean but the ones there i mean i feel like they're all lost like 1980 and past like those are all lost like i feel like we'll never see those yeah it'd be nice if we got if one of the streaming services like criterion or something picks up all those all those old ones but i know scorsese can't live forever and like resurrect all these old movies right (laughs) exactly hopefully he can live forever that'd be nice that would be too. All right. Well, that's what we've been watching. Now let's get to our featured review. There's a lot of stuff that's been coming out in the theaters, and the next two months are going to be insane. But it is Halloween weekend, and the two biggest releases were kind of Halloween-ish type releases. And we watched the most interesting one to us going into it because it was Edgar Wright. However, it sounds like it wasn't very interesting to anybody else because it's going to make like $4 million at the box office this weekend. Anyways, we're talking last night in Soho. I got this kind of gift. I can see people, places, things others can't. This is the closest most people ever get to their dreams. La, 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 la. 
dreams. Jack, I don't want to do this. Again, uh, written directed by Edgar Wright. Todd, you're going to start us off on this one. Tell us all about it and what you thought, since you just got back from it. Yeah, I did. Uh, I, it focuses on this young woman named Eloise, played by Thomas and Mackenzie. She's this aspiring Irish fashion student who gets accepted into her dream school in London, where she sort of meets like a like a really rough partying crowd, and she's kind of discouraged, so she decides she's going to move out to this loft uh, to focus on her studies, but uh, when she dreams, she ends up being transported back to 1960s London, which is her favorite era and her favorite place and her favorite you know, time ever. But uh, she's sort of like a doppelganger for a woman named Sandy, played by Anya Taylor-Joy, whose pimp is played by Matt Smith. And uh, she's immediately, like, sucked into the atmosphere, but when uh, things get sinister, she gets, like, involuntarily taken back to that period, and her life and her mind just sort of begin to fall apart and unravel in every way. Uh, the movie opens with, like, an amazing 20 minutes, 30 minutes, maybe, uh, that reminded me a lot of The Queen's Gambit, just in, like, how someone could be from, like, like almost another world and be completely wide-eyed and somehow breathtakingly successful in what she does just by sheer determination, um, but it, it becomes something way darker than that after that. Uh, the soundtrack is like a Tarantino movie, but it's also very Edgar Wright in, like, how he puts it all together. Uh, it's, it's, like, purely an Edgar Wright movie. It's edited in the most complicated way possible, similar to Baby Driver. But um, the 1960s scenes play, like, an expansion, almost of, like, the the, the Sharon Tate story in What's Fine Time in Hollywood. Like, I could see that being almost exact, ex exactly how that, would, how that went, and uh, it's pretty fascinating to watch. There's a lot of 1960s cinema in this, like uh, a lot of Polanski kind of stuff. There's uh, obviously a ton of David Lynch. Like, we haven't had a David Lynch movie in now 15 years until, I, I feel like this one. This is a, absolutely something he would have made. There's a lot of Mulholland Drive in this, a lot of Lost Highway. Um, there's some Midnight in Paris in, like, the otherworldliness and, like, intoxicating dream sequences that, that are there. Thomas and Mackenzie also randomly looks like a like a scary amount like uh Dan Diane Kruger especially in like oh, like early that. 2000s like I mean I was just like I mean they are basically the same person but the closest relative is the neon demon there's a dash of drag me to hell I maybe I don't know how to review this movie because it's so much like everything that I love it, it took after so many of these of the of these great movies so many like landmark things that we've seen in the last like you know 50 years some of it's, like, a bona fide four-star movie for me. Some of it's, like, a bit of a thumbs down. Some of it's, like, incomprehensible. But I, I kind of think it's kind of beautiful, and I love it. I'm giving it three and a half stars. All right. All right. Zach, where are you at with Last Night in Soho? Yeah, I well, I, I, uh, I hear a lot of what Todd says. I like his comparison to David Lynch. I hadn't thought about that before. But certainly, you know, uh, Anya Taylor-Joy singing downtown feels like something that's like right out of Mulholland Drive or something. Yeah. Um, I also agree with Todd with, with the first 30 minutes of this movie being really exceptional. I love the opening sequence, um, A World Without Love. This has some really nice 60s music in it, which I'm a huge fan of. I agree with uh, one of the characters in this movie who says that, you know, music uh, after the 60s really kind of took a nosedive. Um, I think Tom, Thomas and McKenzie and Anna Ta Anya Taylor-Joy are, are both uh, really good in this movie. Uh, they're both good in pretty much everything they do, so it's hard to really criticize that. I think Edgar Wright is an interesting filmmaker for this type of, of story. 
The problem that I have with it is it, it, it becomes kind of muddled at the middle parts and uh, it, it becomes much more of a kind of creature feature slash uh, psychological horror film um, that is maybe takes the horror a little bit too literally. I'm not quite sure what the deal is with the Thomas and McKenzie character. She's someone who hallucinates people who are dead um, and that's not a spoiler, but if you think about it, what is spoiled throughout the movie, you know, who the biggest per perpetrator is, you can probably figure out at a certain point due to Ebert's law of economy of characters. And with the sort of explanation that the movie has, her kind of sixth sense, literally for, for these kind of dead figures, doesn't really, ex it doesn't explain how she's able to perceive all of the uh, the spirits that she sees in this movie. Um, you know, I, I, there's some jump scares in it, which I guess are fine, but what I liked about the first 30 minutes was exactly what Todd says. It's it's like a total, she's a total fish out of water. She comes from this, you know, small, she's not from Ireland, by the way, she's from Cornwall. And she's like this small town girl and what I thought was interesting, it almost had like a Carrie vibe a little bit in the sense that there, her peers around her were kind of making fun of her and how innocent she was and kind of how backward she was. And I wanted the movie to be a little bit more like angry toward them. That's the direction that I, I, I thought the movie was going to go in. I think as much as I like Thomas and McKenzie in the movie, it, it's it, at a certain point you reach a ceiling with it where it's hard to imagine that anything really bad is going to happen to that character because she's just so innocent and naive and frankly like sort of adorable so I think we almost I, I would have liked to see like more of a harder edged actress in that role I was thinking more someone like Mia Goth or uh, even Florence Pugh or even like Abigail Breslin who I think conceivably something bad or malicious could happen to not even so much that they die but that they turn more malignant more evil in the way that they choose to exercise their power um, I thought the last 30 minutes of this movie was borderline ridiculous. There's a fire scene like, like there is in it feels like every single movie. There's a police investigation that's totally botched and totally, um, you know, ignored at the end of the movie as well. Uh, I have to give this movie two and a half stars. As strong as it starts and as stylistically um, strong as certain parts are, the end kind of collapses for me. And uh, I don't know. I wish, I wish it had maybe taken a, a little bit more of an original route instead of just trying to be this retread of repulsion and don't look now and the style in which it indulges in it, it ultimately sort of defeats itself in trying to be original so I, I don't know two and a half stars for me although I do have I, I do have admiration in a lot of the ways that Todd said all right uh yeah I pretty much completely agree with Todd I'm giving it three and a half stars as well um yeah it it kind of sucks you into this world. What I love about Edgar Wright is he's kind of gotten on this role of he's going to do something completely different with every movie he does. I mean, you look at like the last 10 years and he's got Scott Pilgrim, The World's End, Baby Driver, and now Last Night in Soho. Like, they are so polar opposites of each other in almost every way. And yet he still is able to bring out some of his character and in, and Todd found it it's the music the music is really what is the one identifying feature of an Edgar Wright film at this point and and I like how you said it was kind of Tarantino-esque but he uses it in a completely different way and uh, and I, I thought that was really cool it, it really sucks you into this world I kind of get what you're saying about the ending afterwards I was looking at it and saying I really should have seen the ending coming 
and then but in the moment i totally it, it it totally got me and i was i was all in uh the performances are great and speaking of performances how about diana rigg in her final performance that was pretty great and terrence stamp really he's still around i mean he 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 looked like the the guy in up that they find out at paradise falls and uh yeah i don't know if that's a compliment or an insult (laughs) yeah that guy is supposed to be like 150 years old (laughs) no it it was he uh i seeing him it took me a second to realize it was him because he he looked so just old and disheveled but um perfect yeah three and a half stars what perfect for that character though oh perfect yeah he was perfect yeah, three and a half. Uh, the I love the performances. I love the storytelling. I love the world he creates. Um, and yeah, it 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 was a whole lot of fun. Yeah, I don't know. Like it, maybe we can get into a little bit of spoilers here. But you know, the Diana Rigg character plays a major role in this movie that maybe you don't see coming toward the end of the movie. But the minute that that kind of became the apparent thrust that the movie was going in, I kind of thought that's it that's that's what we're supposed to be that that's the explanation for this another bit of a mini spoiler here is this movie was very similar in terms of its kind of uh reveal to greta the chloe grace moretz and uh 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 what's that french actress's name um uh, gosh i'm t- uh, uh you know the one that was in l i'm totally blanking on her oh. name um, hey, Isabella Isabelle Huppert movie, yeah, which, yeah, I don't, I looked on our website, and I don't think either of you guys have seen it, but, like, it's almost the exact same thing, so that, I think, prejudices me a little bit toward it, but, I don't know, I just kind of thought, like, okay, I would have, I would have liked this character to be a little bit more hard-edged, and to, like, I thought, what I thought the movie was going to go in was that she was going to avenge these, uh, tr- these injustices that had happened, these violations that had happened. And I thought that would have been sort of an interesting way to take the story. That's where I thought it was going for maybe about a 15-minute time span. But then it was like Edgar Wright was just so preoccupied with ghoulish spirits uh, haunting her. And I just thought, I've, I've kind of seen that before, you know? I don't know, but I mean, the, the fact that they are actually physically taking part in her daily life, I mean, that that's something that I don't know that I've actually seen like that before. I mean, they're they're not just ghost she's not just schizophrenic like it is actually taking over that is something that i i really respect and i was like okay that's why i said it's like drag me to hell like it's i mean i mean it went pretty far out there yeah well and, and yeah and you have to balance how much of this is just how crazy she is and how much of it is actually legit something to be watching for yeah i mean i just I've seen that in other movies before. What I liked about it, though, which was maybe maybe what you're talking about, Todd, a little bit different, is I think I think visually this movie had a really unique style, which is like especially in the early scenes when she's first encountering Sandy, how like you know sometimes Thomas and Mackenzie's face will be like in the background in a mirror or in a reflection. Mm-hmm. I thought visually that was really cool. Stylistically, yeah. this movie's awesome. I don't really have any complaints about that. I just sort of think that like with the whole explanation, all right, I'm thinking that this character has some sort of supernatural ability to understand uh, the other, otherworldly, right, the people who have been deceased. So how does it make sense that she's able to see Sandy? I mean, I I don't want to spoil it too much, but like that, that to me didn't, 
that that explanation didn't serve. I it it's it, not, it kind of ruined her. the first it's two about, thirds of the movie. It's about her room. That's why nobody will stay there. That's why she says people leave in the middle of the night. It's not her. It's it's the room. But if it was the room, then how come how come this character is still like letting it out? I don't know. I, there's like there's just too many loose ends that don't really get explained. And I get I you know Edgar Wright would be the first to say like you know you kind of interpret what you want to interpret from this movie. It's more about the experience of watching it and going through what this character is going through. But I don't know. It just it feels like there's too many loose ends. I bought the explanation. I bought it. I think it's fair to buy it. I and I I just didn't. I thought like even yeah. even with the police investigation, I was like I, I want to know more about that. Maybe that's a testament to how it wrapped up. I was in the story at a certain point. I just thought that the 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 execution at the ending was uh, it left something to be desired. So yeah, if Diana Rigg would have been Lois Smith like in in a like Twister, would that have made a difference, Zach? I think this would have been an excellent Lois Smith. What do you what do you guys think about Thomas and McKenzie? I mean, look, we we're all we, yeah, she's a friend of the podcast. We we love everything she's in. Todd didn't love her so much in in, in old, but like I just felt like there was nothing bad that was ever going to happen to her. She's and she's great in this movie. She's in like almost every scene in this movie. But like at a certain point, you're like, well, she's probably not going to die. Probably nothing bad's really going to happen to her. So it kind of like was sort of like a ceiling a little bit, almost like watching an Avengers movie. I don't know. I think it, I, I think it. She is pushed further in this movie than than anything else she's ever done, just in in where she's where she takes it and how far she goes. And I don't know, she looks pretty much a mess by the end of this movie. And I I was I I wouldn't necessarily go along with that. However, I do get the point that if you put one of those other actresses you mentioned, like an Abigail Breslin or a Florence Pugh, in there, that you get that. You, you can get that different vibe, but I don't know if you get the same innocence that she can portray at the beginning without it being someone like her. Right, I mean, and, like, it almost subverts expectations in that way, because uh, the the main character, especially, like, the really attractive blonde that's the main character in a movie, in a horror movie, is, is never going to live. Like, I mean, like, that, that I don't know, <laughs> like, I, I feel like... The, I feel I feel like in that way, like even in Midsommar or something like that. It, I mean, you could debate on how on how uh, on on how well she's treated or something. You know, like this is like I don't know. It's not the same. I I think she's great in this, honestly. I do too, and Anya Taylor Joy is great as well. Of course, she can't not be great. Yeah. And Matt Smith has a really fascinating vibe going on in this. Isn't he a Doctor Who? I, I was going to say he should be a James Bond, but he's a Doctor Who, right? He, he's a Doctor Who. Yeah, he's already been a Doctor Who. Um, that kind of takes him out kinda, of the running. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Now, he has this look, like the, the one time when, uh, when the door opens up and he's waiting for her. I mean, he looks like Mr. Blonde. Uh and I, I kept on thinking he kind of had that vibe to him, but like a Cockney Mr. Bond or Mr. Blonde from Reservoir Dogs. But but he kind of had that that vibe of and that look to him. I don't know. It was just kind of a cool a cool look he, that he uh, was able to portray there. All right. Well, two and a half from Zach, three and a half from me and Todd. Uh, it is in theaters and. I think Zach would even agree with this. Go see it. 
Like, this is a movie, it's worth seeing, and I think it, it's a fun experience to have in a theater with people. Um, it, it deserves more than $4 million in the box office opening weekend. So, go see this movie, um, and, uh, and and it all depends on how well you buy the ending, how much it's you're de- going to like it. It's definitely the best Thomas and McKenzie movie of 2021. I think we can all agree on that. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I think that's fair. All right, so that is last night in Soho. Uh, now it is time for some uh, some deep dive, and we're going back thirty five years. It is Halloween weekend. We could have done like some sort of scary movie, Halloween movie, horror film, but no. In no. a way, this is a horror film. <laughs> it, it's pretty terrifying. Some of the fashion choices in this movie. Uh, we're go. We're 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 looking at Top Gun. I'm gonna send you up against the best, yes, sir. You two characters are going to Top Gun. I feel the need, the need for speed. For five weeks, you're going to fly against the best fighter pilots in the world. You guys really are cowboys. I don't like you because you're unsafe. That's right. Uh, we'd kind of been putting it off and putting it off to try and do it really close to the uh, the sequel. That was supposed to come out like last Memorial Day, and then it was supposed to come out this Memorial Day, and then it was supposed to come out like this November. Now it's next Memorial Day. So, uh, yeah, we, we just decided it do it while it's still an anniversary movie. So 35th anniversary of Top Gun. God help us. Uh <laughs> Uh, so Zach is hosting trivia on this one. All right, so Zach, what, uh, what are we doing here for trivia? Okay, we're going to do Top Gun trivia. Yes. Yeah, so, uh, I have, uh, 11 questions. I'm assuming that Terry knows a lot more about this movie than Todd does, so we're gonna start with Todd and then go to Terry. That's okay. a good, it's a good assumption. Yeah, it's, I, I like the strategy there. All right, uh, here I go. All right, well, we'll, we'll, we'll roll through this. Okay, uh, what date was uh, the Top Gun program established? <laughs> I mean, you can find this out in the first, like, 30 seconds. What date was it Right on it the screen. Yeah, what, it was uh, actually written on the screen? Yes. I don't know, in 1950s something? Uh, no. <laughs> May 3rd, 69. <laughs> nice try. Uh... What will Maverick have to fly if he fails Top Gun? Oh, I don't know. It's something similar to, like, in A Few Good Men, where they're, like, a typewriter maintenance or something. It's, like, something stupid that he's going to... Like, if he fails, then he's going to have to go do something really stupid. I can't remember what it is. A car- he'll, he'll have to fly a cargo plane carrying rubber dog shit out of Hong Kong. Exactly. I feel like I should get a quarter Great dialogue. Yeah, okay, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll screw it, I'll give you a half point okay, for that. Um, what is the sign outside the party where Maverick meets Iceman and Charlie for the first time? There's a very curious sign. I I want to know more about it, but... Exit. You know, no, it, the, the sign said Animal Party. There were no movie posters in the background of this movie, this, this is the closest one I could find. Um, how long have Maverick and Goose been doing the loving feeling shtick? Or since since when? Well, I mean, eventually they say that that was the second time, and uh, the the that right. time was uh, 
like he doesn't know how it's gonna go yet until he finds out or that that night or something okay i'll give you a point for that that's actually a pretty good answer i i said since puberty but you're right the actual answer okay they say that at the beginning yeah damn it (laughs) okay and i'm giving you a point man you're gonna need it all right how many feet do pilots have to be in the air to fire a missile i don't know (laughs) <laughs> I don't remember that at all. Like, this is a fairly important plot point, but okay. Like, maybe I'll rephrase it. Like, at what point... So, there's a point in the movie when Maverick gets in trouble because he was below a certain point and fired a missile. What What was that point? Honestly, don't remember. Ten, I mean, I watched this, like, like four days ago. 10,000 feet. That's the right answer, actually. There's Nicely no way done. that's the right answer. That is the right answer. 10,000 feet. <laughs> Um, okay, uh, how much money is Maverick's fighter jet worth? You stupid numbers, man. <laughs> You're gonna make me lose every <laughs> trivia if you keep doing numbers. I'm, I don't know, uh, 120,000. Uh, 30 million. Okay, yeah. What is Maverick's dad's name? It's also the name of James Gardner in uh, The Notebook, if that helps. <laughs> I mean, uh, John Mitchell. No. The great guess, though. Uh, it is Duke Mitchell. Duke Mitchell. Already suspicious if your name is Duke. Uh, who is Penny Benjamin? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, that, Penny Benjamin is the Admiral's daughter. Uh, oh. <laughs> okay. Another number, another number question. What's the number on Maverick's plane? Yeah, I, I got to stop doing the number questions. You, you're right. Just just say a random three-digit number. Uh, two, three, two, two, No, it is 411. What is the last line of this movie? bullshit you could be mine now see that is what i thought the last line in the movie was not that i hadn't seen this movie before but tarantino would have you believe that that was the last line in this movie and it is not strangely enough the last line is tom cruise telling kelly mcginnis it's looking good so far i'll be curious to see if terry gets that okay and then uh he'll probably get that all right top gun opened may 16th 1986 Who did the Mariners play that day, and what was the final score? Wait, I'm going to say they played the Detroit Tigers, and they lost 9-2. to two. Okay, I'll compare that to Terry's answer, and we'll see uh, hey, who, who gets the, the point. Answer. All, All right. right. Here I am. Terry's, Todd got Terry's a wa- totally getting that last question right. <laughs> Todd got a whopping 2.5 points. Okay. But it could be two and a half he, points. He, he could end up with more points at there the end. There were no of the... questions worth more than one point, okay. unless he does something with weird with the last question. Okay. Who who knows? Okay. Uh, what date was the Top Gun program established by the Navy? Um. Do I need like year? Does just year count, or does it have to be like full date? As much as you can remember. I think it was like 1965. 
No. No. I, I mean, Todd guessed the Todd guessed the fifties, but <laughs> it's not like it wasn't in you know the first thirty seconds in big letters on the screen uh, know, or anything. It was May third, nineteen sixty nine. Oh, okay. What will Maverick uh, have to fly if he fails Top Gun? Uh, he have to fly. Oh, it's um something full of rubber dog shit out of Hong Kong. That is correct. I'll give you a point for that. Cargo plane carrying yeah. rubber dog shit. Yeah. Out I, I of said typewriter maintenance or something. <laughs> like in a few good men. <laughs> what is on the sign outside of the party where Maverick first meets Iceman and Charlie? What's on the sign? I have no idea. Animal party. Okay. Okay. Uh, how long have Maverick and Goose been doing the loving sh- uh, feeling shtick? Since puberty. That is correct. Now, Todd also got a point because there's actually two possible answers for this question. Because Maverick also says they've, they've only done it twice. Crash and burn the first time. And the second? I don't know. I'll tell you in the morning, but it's looking good so far. Exactly. Yeah. All right. How many feet do pilots have to be in the air in order to fire a missile? Uh... Oh, isn't it 10,000 feet is the 10,000 feet is correct. How much money is Maverick's fighter jet worth? $40 million. $30 million. Ah! What is Maverick's dad's name? Uh, and I'll, and it, I'll give you the same hint I gave Todd. which Duke is it's, Mitchell, isn't it? That is correct. Also the name of James Gardner's character in The Notebook. Yeah, that wouldn't help. Um, <laughs> who, who is Penny Benjamin? Penny Benjamin is the Admiral's daughter. That is correct. <laughs> scary you knew that. What is the flybys of three traffic control towers and one Admiral's daughter? Penny Benjamin? Yeah. <laughs> what is the number on Maverick's plane? The number? Yes. Like uh, what three on? a three digit number on Maverick's plane. Three thirteen. Four eleven. Okay. What is the last line of the movie? Um, this is the question we were really interested to see if you would get. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's not what what either of us thought it was. And the second time? No. Isn't it? No. The last line is it's looking good so far, which oh, you said about he, sixty seconds ago. I, I forgot that I, I I was trying to remember if he answered it or not because I know he How? just laughs it off at first. How was this movie? How did, was this movie not ending on the part where he says "bullshit"? You can you can ride mine. I, I know. I That's know. the ending of this movie. Yeah, yeah. Top Gun. Last question. Top Gun opened. Uh, the the you know the outcome is really in suspense here. Top Gun opened on May sixteenth of nineteen eighty six. Who did the Mariners play that day, and what was the final score? <laughs> oh, I'm gonna say they played. I'm going to say they lost to the Brewers 5-1. to one. Okay. So Todd said they lost the Tigers 9-2. to two. They beat the Yankees 7-3. to three. I don't know who gets the point there. <laughs> I think Todd maybe does because the Brewers are an, a, are an NL team. They weren't then. But they weren't then. Well, so I don't know. And the Tigers are closer east. They're <laughs> further east. Are they? They are. Yeah. Well, yes. Yeah. Detroit is further east than Milwaukee. All right. I think Zach loses a point for not realizing. <laughs> I get a negative point there. <laughs>
Either way, I win. Terry, tell us about Top Gun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so Top Gun, I mean, I, I was trying to think about because we always talk about what's the first your first experience with it and stuff like that. And I'm like, I was thinking, I I don't remember ever not having had Top Gun in my life. Like th- this is. This is a Terry Senior special right here. I, I think I I re, I don't remember ever not having known how this movie goes. Um, it is uh the story of Maverick, this uh rogue kind of flies by the seat of his pants fighter pilot, and his uh his Rio Goose who go to Top Gun this training facility to learn, uh dog fighting techniques where they meet a bunch of other egotistical maniacs um like Iceman and Slider and Hollywood and and Wolfman and all those guys um and he falls in love with his with one of his teachers and um so on and so forth yeah I, this movie's in my top 100 of all time we know and and this is like <laughs> Me, we gave you a lot is, of shit for it. Oh, I'm sure you did, but this is like like start to finish just one of the most pure fun movies you could ever watch. And and I I'm sure there's there's definitely some nostalgia working into it for me. And we'll hear what Zach thought cuz Zach watched it for the first time this week. Um but I I also think looking at it now, I I was so I I listened to uh, the You Must Remember This podcast, and uh, the host of that does an ad read where she talks about how um, one of the most cringeworthy things to do is look back on things you hold with such nostalgia now and see if they are outdated. And and uh, especially when it comes to like the jokes that are told, because especially in the 80s, there were, it, it just wasn't good. I think this holds up. I think it holds up pretty well. I mean, yeah, there's definitely some some things that are going on but when it comes to some of the other stuff that the 80s produced this ain't that bad it, when it comes to it it getting outdated and i mean this really took tom cruise from being the the underwear kid in risky business to being a true-fledged movie star uh and I, and val kilmer became a star out of this i don't know it i love this movie this is the one movie i'm all right, go back about 12 years or so. I was sitting around. It was when I was still, before I was married, I'm sitting at home by myself. I'm like, you know what? I want to watch Top Gun. And so I threw on Top Gun and it ended. And the only time in my life it ends and I go, you know what? I need to watch that again. And I just hit play again and watch the entire movie again and loved every minute of it two straight times. Um, I watched it today to get ready for this. It's still great. I love it amazing movie four-star movie for me now zach you've seen it you just saw it for the first time probably not a four-star movie for you i'm guessing considering it's you but what did you think what did you think of it well i will tell you i have a little bit of history with top gun my history with it is through quentin tarantino who made a movie where he uh he didn't make the movie but he was an actor in it he and he gives this wonderful monologue about the inner deeper meaning of top gun as an allegory for tom cruise's uh latent homosexuality or his homosexual urges iceman representing the gay man kelly mcginnis representing heteronormativity and 
Iceman is right on the edge, as Tarantino would say. And uh, it, it's a great monologue. And um, it's all, I've, I've always feel like I've seen the movie just based on the monologue. I don't think I need to see anything else except for that monologue. But he changes the line. He says, you could ride my tail anytime. That's true. <laughs> that's true. You could be my wingman. <laughs> That is a very that yeah that's very different. But it's the same, the exact same thing basically. <laughs> well, anyway, I watched the movie and uh, it was it was interesting. Um, I guess I will say the surprising thing about it is uh, maybe not surprising, but I thought it was really well shot. Mm-hmm. I was expecting some shoddy special effects and really bad processing shots it or holds composite up. shots, and it actually looks really good. I got the uh, I was fortunate enough to get the the 30th anniversary Blu-ray, um, and uh, I'll talk about the Blu-ray in a little bit because it actually has some really interesting features on it. But it actually looks uh, the transfer that I saw looked really good, so it was that was never an issue. The look of this movie is not dated at all. It looks really strong. Um, even some of the non-action scenes, I think, look really good. Like the sequence when we're first introduced to Tom Skerritt, that's a well-shot sequence with some cool shadows in it, and it's got a kind of interesting look that doesn't look a lot like... Like, I, one of the things I hate about the 80s, and, and I, I hate the 80s movie. I think the movies died in the 80s, okay? But, like, the the looks of movies from the 80s was just awful. This movie looks really good. It, for the most part, sounds really good. Um, except, you know, you really got to love Kenny Loggins in Brazil because they are on every 10 minutes in this movie. That's got to be a great drinking game. Another great drinking game is every time the word butt is mentioned somewhere in the dialogue. I'm giving this movie two and a half stars because I think it does have no, some nostalgia. So I, I hear what Terry's saying. Like, there's certainly, you wouldn't cancel this movie. There's nothing, like, yeah. problematic about this movie, except for maybe the fact that the characters are all, you know, gay and uh, repressed. Uh, but, hey, that's, you know, that's not a problem in 2021, I guess. But, like, uh, I think it's kind of hilariously awful at times, and it's, like, fun awful. It doesn't, I don't think it takes itself too seriously. It's certainly not overlong. Um, it's it, the, 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 the love plot is as bad as advertised. And some of those scenes are really, really hard to watch and hard to, to, to muster any sort of believability. in. a lot of it is, feels like direct ripoff of an officer and a gentleman. But, uh, on a whole, I would have to, uh, I, I was, uh, I think more impressed than I was disappointed by it. That is about as good of a review as I could have hoped for out of you on this, honestly. I, and I will say one of the things that um, that I think holds on this is you said you hate 80s movies. 80s movies, I feel, all have kind of a similar tone to them. And one of the things that's missing is it's missing that feel of it being a big thing it, it and being epic and being larger than life. And I think Top Gun is one that captures that. Um, yeah, and I also I also, also got to say, you know, I know we we know there's a sequel coming out. I'm glad this movie was never franchised. I think it, mm. it, it to make a sequel of it would have to defeat the purpose of the movie. I like where the movie ends. I don't want to see another chapter in Maverick's life. I like that it just kind of stayed its own sort of thing. Well, at the time, Tom Cruise had ambitions as an actor. <laughs> so <laughs> Like, this year he did The Color of Money and this. Like, it's like, okay, this is going to be me making myself a movie star and me acting with this, you know, Oscar winner. A couple years later, he had an Oscar nomination for yeah. Born on the Fourth of he July. Was, he, was doing the, um, he was doing the Ryan Gosling thing, basically, at this time. And uh, he wasn't interested in, yeah, in sequels and making money at the time. But, I mean, he still was, obviously, because he was the biggest thing. 
after this movie. I don't know. For yeah. me, this movie, I mean, similar to Terry, but I, I don't honestly think I'd seen this movie all the way through, maybe more than, like, twice. Like, I've seen parts of this movie a million times. Similar to when we uh, when we did this for uh, American President, I, I don't think mm. I'd seen sections of this movie more than once. But, I mean, I don't know. I mean, th- this movie is one of those things that, to me, is... There's nostalgia there, for sure. It, it is goofy but it's also yeah i mean it blows by it's a it's a completely like nicholas cage action movie kind of like uh hour and 45 minute like uh throw right kind of thing and i mean it's a lot of fun there's a lot of like ferris and cameron from ferris bueller's day off in like in uh in goose and maverick i've never had put that together <laughs> they, they came out the exact same time the exact same summer but like oh man there is so much there and which is why I thought Zach was gonna hate it, but uh, I don't know. I mean, I I've I've always basically enjoyed this movie. I've never actually gave it a fair shot because I I honestly haven't seen it all the way through probably since I was ten. <laughs> so yeah, what I what I thought was interesting about this movie that I wasn't quite expecting. We all know that you know Maverick is supposed to be this rogue rebel badass. That's the trope in every single movie. But what I wasn't expecting is just how inept he is and like how reckless he is. Like he's a terrible uh he's a terrible uh, pilot. Uh like I mean obviously he takes great risks and oftentimes those are rewarded, but Iceman is the real hero of this story, okay? Iceman is the model pilot that the Navy wants to represent. And uh he chastises Maverick so many times and I think he's totally justified. Maverick just blows off, you know, when he gets chastised by his superiors and he does things like, okay, yes, he goes back uh for the guy at the beginning of the movie, but other than that, he doesn't show any sort of empathy or compassion for his other uh, uh, teammates and um, frankly you know I I think he's sort of like the I mean we'll talk about biggest douches in the movie but he has a huge case for being a biggest douche in the movie and I was kind of pleasantly surprised to see that I think it kind of shows you know this this movie I think has some interesting like kind of socio-political things to say about the United States in the mid 80s I don't think it's quite as gung-ho propagandistic as I was quite expecting just because of how flawed Maverick really is this is in, like, a 1950s John Wayne movie, dude. Like, but... Yeah. There's a reason why the, the, the remake has that character... That that character basically being Miles Teller. Yeah, I mean, he's he's the unlikable hothead. And that, that's that's the way this story goes. I, I and the know. Iceman character is Glenn Powell, who is, a, a, you know, your, your picture-perfect American. Yeah, I just remember, I I read in the trivia section that Matthew Modine turned down the role of Maverick because he thought the movie was too propagandistic and fascist and an advertisement for the military. And so I went in the movie thinking, oh my gosh, I I don't know if I want to watch that kind of Reagan-era bullshit. But I think this movie actually kind of, in a weird roundabout way, is sort of critiquing the Top Gun program that someone as reckless and as crazed as Maverick could ever come out of it. Another really interesting kind of point of intersection watching this movie was this movie is almost the exact same as The Hurt Locker. Like, if you think oh. about The Hurt Locker, this guy is the Jeremy Renner character, except it's just set in the world of fighter jets instead of, you know, bomb diffusers in Iraq. And, uh, you know, The Hurt Locker obviously was a lot more serious, but it also, I mean, that was like a psychoanalytical look at, at this character who's crazed and, you know, has this thirst for danger and, and, and risk-taking. This movie, I think, does it in sort of the same way. It's, it's just, you know, obviously the look just of it and the feel of it is Kenny different. Loggins. Right. It just, it's not... <laughs> 
I think, you know, we'll talk about recasting, but I think, like, for I just kept on thinking about, like, the Hurt Locker had that kind of weird, similar vibe about these characters who are seriously, this protagonist who's seriously flawed, and yet you kind of root for them, but that's sort of like almost a critique of the military in the way by saying that, you know, this risk-taking protagonist is our hero, even though he's reckless and doesn't care for other people. We gave that movie four stars to give this one two and a half. Well, the Hurt Lock, but they're, I mean, they're vastly <laughs> different movies. I'm just saying that so I think... So you don't like Tony that, Scott? No, I like Tony Scott. I mean, I've never, you know, he's not like, you know, he's I, not my he's favorite not director, Ridley but... Scott. Oh, no, oh of course, he's, oh, he didn't direct Matchstick Men. I mean... I think this is a perfect example of a Tony Scott movie. Yeah, and, this and is about I, as good as Tony Scott could get. And, and what, I, what I like is, and you're talking about the flawed character of Maverick, and and the whole the whole purpose of his his flaw is he's trying to live up to this broken legacy of his father that he's he, Daniel that he's, Caffey. I, yeah. I don't know who that is. A few good men. Tom oh. Cruise and a few good men. It, it's a very similar character. Um one thing that I didn't fully realize until I watched it this time is um you you have that open that first scene in the bar where like Goose is introducing him to everybody. And I've always thought, why did Goose, how does Goose know who everyone is and Maverick know who nobody is? And the reason is because, and it's just kind of a throwaway line that's thrown in there, but Goose mentions that he wasn't allowed into the Academy because of who his dad is. So, like, he is constantly having to try and do something more than the next person to prove himself worthy because he's been told his entire life he isn't because his dad died in a in a classified mission and uh, isn't allowed and no one's allowed to know that the hero he was. And uh, so was a few good men, the play written before this movie or after, I assume it was after, right? It's gotta be. I mean, that's the same thing. I mean, in a few good men, he's always like, people always like, dude, I have all the respect for your father. Even like Jessup says that, right? It's like, I mean, but, but in top gun Viper's the only one that has respect for his dad. Because he was the only one that was a pilot. He was the only one that was there and knew what actually happened. Like, in the end, he even says, this is what happened to your dad, and I could get fired for this because it's classified. But I need to tell you. Going back to your original point, Terry, Tony Scott is, like, the best and worst thing about this movie because, yes, it's competent direction. However, imagine what an Aaron Sorkin could have done to this script. Instead of the stupid bullshit of the volleyball and the shower scenes and the just ridiculous over-the-topness like get a serious writer on this and it could have turned into something great there, there is there so is a lot of ridiculous over so the top <laughs> but at the same movie? time though at the same time this movie's got some iconic lines i mean well, of course but that's but not for not for the right reasons <laughs> your ego's writing checks your body can't cash i mean it, it's just there there's I, yeah, I, I love the. So who would I have directed so this lines. movie ideally in 1986? I think Tony Scott, right? But if we want, if we wanted to make a more serious movie, I, all right. So this movie did uh, get nominated for four Oscars and won one. Now the one I it think... won was Song for Take My Breath Away, but. What do you think about like a James Cameron? You know, I mean, that's someone who could have handled the special big. effects, but he also the it. psychology. I would take his aliens over whatever he would have done with this movie. 
Yeah, I mean, Aliens is a better movie. I, you know, they I agree with that. This but there's no, I, I would not trade that. Is what I'm saying. I'm not saying I would trade it. I would be interested in seeing what James Cameron would have done to this. I think he would have if, taken the character more seriously. If James Cameron had directed Top Gun, he would have spent the last 35 years trying to figure out what he wanted to do with the sequel and not made another movie. That's just true. like he did with Avatar. That's a good call. <laughs> <laughs> what if, I mean, uh, what about like what? What about if you had like a director like Scorsese? Like this year, he did The Color of Money. What if he? What if he did this instead? And some other hack did The Color of Money, which is probably Scorsese's worst movie. Like I mean, that would have been fascinating. I would have loved to have seen that. What about what about our old, our friend Hal Ashby? We you know we talked about Hal Ashby <laughs> with A Million Ways to Die. Like this could have been a great final chapter of Hal Ashby's career. What about like Ron Howard? Eight, eight million ways to die, excuse me. What about like Ron Howard? What was he doing I in the 80s? He gung-ho and cocoon oh, yeah. and yeah, splash. I mean, this is only like, right. what, what, maybe five years before Backdraft? How about Tom Hanks as Maverick? There we go. Well, I think Tom Cruise is perfect. I mean... Maybe it, Tim it, Robbins... That would have been a pretty good Maverick. He, I mean, he wouldn't have been. He would have been the opposite. He would have been super tall. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, he is in the movie. Oh, de- yeah, definitely want to yeah. point that out. It, it, it has never been more apparent to me in a Tom Cruise movie how short he is than in this movie. <laughs> like, which I think adds to adds to his whole thing. Oh, I kind because... of agree. I kind of like that. Yeah. I also like he he's, he doesn't even look like he's in the best shape in this movie. Like I he maybe has his shirt off a couple times. He's definitely not the most you know chiseled you know Greek uh, Roman you know Spartan in this movie. You know in this very homoerotic uh, sphere. But uh, he kind of you know he's got kind of these chubby cheeks and he just kind of got a stupid haircut. And he's uh, still a kid. After, I, I kind of like that. Four years old. Yeah, it was that oh, I agree. I, I like it. It's, taps, it's charming. <laughs> <laughs> he's the jerry right. o'connell and stand by me of taps and that's <laughs> it's not that far beyond that put that on the poster uh, the, the one i couldn't believe michael ironside as jester he was like 35 years old in this movie yeah i mean he looked like he was 55 yeah and i think he and he still looks like he's 55 I well he looks a little older now but yeah He's looked the same age forever. What did we just see him in? Like, he popped up in something we watched recently. What was it? Oh, he was in Nobody. Oh. That's what it was. That's right. Yeah. Because it was like, wait. All right, Terry, what's what's our Mount Rushmore, Terry? Okay, let's do Mount Rushmore. Mount Rushmore (laughs) is uh, the best movie pilots of all time. Okay, so are we gonna say? Are, are we gonna say? I'm gonna say Iceman a, probably should be our our, our non-negotiable. Iceman. Ice, man. But he's not the Top Gun though. Yeah, he is. He is. Well, he is, but he, he isn't. Is I mean, one. he's. A, listen, Maverick makes like four kills of those Migs at the end of the movie. I don't see Iceman doing that shit. Well, that's because Iceman was all by himself with six of them before Maverick ever showed up. I think Iceman and Maverick negate each other. But if but if we had to go with one, I guess I guess we go with Iceman. Okay. Well, let, let's let's go through this and see how it how it goes and thinking that Iceman could would potentially be our our uh, 
our backup here. So, all right, are we, are we just saying like, here's a qualifier. Are we saying? Well, Earth okay, we're pilots? saying Tom Cruise was a little chubbier, so he's the Taft. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. No, all right. All right. Are we saying earthly pilots? Because as I was thinking about, dude, like, like does Han Solo count? That was gonna be my choice. That was your choice yeah, to talk. I was wondering then go about for that. it. Go, go for Han Solo. Talk about him. Well, I mean, he's Han Solo. <laughs> yeah, he's Han freaking Solo. <laughs> he's a pilot of the Millennium Falcon, and I don't know. I mean, I don't know. How, what, what am I gonna say about Han Solo that someone hasn't heard before? That's true. That's true. He. His, uh, Originally his, supposed his, to be played his, by Michael Ironside. His wing, his wingman. <laughs> I'm just making that up. Is, is a Wookie. Yet he has. I mean, he's also a swindler, and a and a stickman. And he's obviously a stickman. Yeah. I mean, he made the Kessel Run in less than twelve parsecs. That's true. And yeah, I mean, yeah. and he goes to save. He goes to save the day at the end. Of, at the end of the. At the end of the first movie. I mean. Han Solo is the best pilot in the galaxy, or whatever galaxy you're talking about, right? Uh, all right. Here, here's the question though: Who's the better pilot, Han Solo or Poe Dameron? I think an argument could be made for Poe. Han did it first. That's true. Han, Han shot Han first. Han, Han also shot first. first. Yeah. yeah. He did, obviously. <laughs> Uh, all right, Zach, you can go next. All right, I thought my choice is uh, see, Han Solo did all those things, but he did all th- those things sober and without banging a bunch of women the mm, night before. I wouldn't. I don't know. You're well, okay, maybe that's short. debatable. That it's debatable. I you never saw Han Solo pass out on a flight before a rainstorm hit or some sort Those of starship collision. PG, dude. And, well, it's, yeah, <laughs> it's, that's, I guess, a problem with the movie. But you did see Denzel Washington do it as Whip Whitaker in flight, okay? He's banging the stewardess at the beginning of the movie, shooting up a line of cocaine at the beginning of the movie, and he has passed out on his flight from Atlanta to Orlando. You got Brian Garrity there as the most worthless second pilot, you know, in the history of movies, co-pilot. right? Brian Garrity, co-pilot, yeah, excuse me. <laughs> and Brian Garrity should never be a part of anything. Like he was pretty useless in the Hurt Locker too. The second time we mentioned that, but you know what? When push comes to shove. And, you know, he's got to wake up when he realizes that flight is going down, all right? And he makes the brilliant maneuver, a la Maverick at the beginning of this movie, inverting the flight. (laughs) He must have actually been a fan of Top Gun to do it. And only six people died. And somehow he still ended up smoking, you know, doing a lot of coke. And he had John Goodman there as his, uh, you know, personal uh, bookie slash drug dealer. And, uh, you know, he he showed up at his testimony drunk. And if he was able to do that as coherent and save the lives of all those people, that is uh, a stunning resume. He wouldn't have been able to do that if they didn't bring the coke to him in his hotel room. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's the point. I mean, that I I think think I want some of that cocaine. more props as a great pilot. I didn't see any of these other pilots, you know, under those conditions that we know of. Han probably was under the same conditions. <laughs> That's ridiculous. That no way. Oh man. 
Where did he get the vodka nips? I don't. I don't see the the, the intergalactic. Uh, you know, it, you, you can't get he those. He shot he, the guy in a bar. He's hung out in a bar. He looked very sober in that scene. Well, maybe we never saw him sober, and so that was just kind of his look. He was rated PG. Yeah. <laughs> so was this movie. So was Top Gun. It's an interesting PG rating. That, that was that. That was one of. the the things I was going to mention. The most outdated thing about this is its MPAA rating. <laughs> <laughs> it was in the era of PG-13, too, which is surprising. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. They've just gotten so to be we, little bitches since then. We got Han Solo. We got Denzel Washington in flight. I'm going to go... Yeah, I'm going to go classic here. This is a movie I watched for the first time in the last couple months. And I, I, I looked up just some lists for some ideas on this and saw this name and said, that's my guy. And it is General Frank Savage, played by Gregory Peck in 12 O'Clock High. That wow. dude, Adam would appreciate that pick. That dude <laughs> is a beast. And, and like he, he's uh, he comes into this, this company of fighter pilots or, or bomber pilots that is just the, the leader of them is like, oh, yeah, we're just kind of having some tough luck right now. He goes, no, 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 that's not how it works. And so he comes in as a commander and flies the lead plane on every single mission. And as soon as he does that, everything works because he is just a savage in the air. So and that's his last name, too. He's General Savage. So Gregory Peck, 12 o'clock high. <laughs> well, see, it's a, I mean, it's a, you've seen 12 o'clock high, right, Todd? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's a great choice. And I could have chosen something like that, but I thought Han Solo was like the obvious one. Yeah, it is. It is. The one the one I really wanted to mention was uh, Swamp Thing, who's the guy who lands the plane on the Vegas Strip in Con Air. Yes, <laughs> that's a great call. You should have gone with that. I also wanted to mention Stryker from Airplane. Well, I had a lot of... Uh, you have several well, options from Airplane, because you could also go with Otto, or you could go with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar slash Roger Murdoch. Yeah. Or... or, or My name uh, is Roger Murdoch. Or Victor. I was also thinking about Howard Hughes, just because he... Yeah, yeah I thought about that. Yes. I mean, he survived two crashes. <laughs> Epic Stickman. <laughs> well, he lets... He lets Catherine Hepburn control the, you know, the, the plane, and they don't crash. Oh, Todd, I thought of another great one. John Travolta in Look Who's Talking. I wrote that down, oh. too. But really only in Look Who's Talking now. True, true. Well, the, he teaches Kirstie Alley to fly, fly in one of them. If we're going with Leo, why not go with Leo and Catch Me If You Can? I thought about that, I too. Mean, I mean, he doesn't even have any flight pilot. knowledge. He's not an actual pilot. He never flies a plane. <laughs> the only other one I had written down was Snoop Dogg in Soul Plane uh, as Captain Mac. But if you haven't seen Soul Plane, spoilers, he actually dies of a drug overdose midway through the movie. So it, it, while mid-flight, so that kind of lowers his credibility. I feel a bit. like there's a lot of like ones that fly a helicopter into like a dangerous situation that we're overlooking, but I can't think of who they actually are. <laughs> We could have gone with Ben Affleck in Pearl Harbor. Yeah. Or, or what about Ben Affleck in Armageddon? Who flies the plane in Triple Frontier? <laughs> ben Affleck doesn't fly the fly the spaceship in Armageddon, though. It's, uh... Isn't it Fickner? Bill Fickner flies the plane. Mm. Flies the, the ship. Mahone. Mm. Yep. 
Well, and Jack Swaggart is a fine pilot, but when's the last time he's been in a simulator? Yeah, but what That's about Rocket point. Man? Like, like, who's <laughs> flying that Fred, shit? Autopilot. Fred, 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 <laughs> Fred, Fred Randall. Fred Randall and and autopilot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we have some. But good see, answers. I think astronauts astronauts are are something different. Like like Han Solo is one thing, but astronauts are something different. Okay, so maybe my thing should be Swamp Thing. Yeah. No, I, I'm good with Han Solo. I think no. Han Solo. Okay, but I mean, you make a good point because he's I mean, Han Solo is our pick out of respect. But, but is no, no, no. Like, like we can't say like Neil helicopter. Armstrong or or Jim Lovell or something like that. But Han Solo is yeah, a fighter we pilot. Seen, we've seen one. Hey, movie Jim Lovell with, was with saved by the the algae. Armstrong. <laughs> Jim Lovell was pi- saved by the algae. <laughs> That's a good pilot skill in the Sea of Japan. Uh. <laughs> All right. So you go, you're going Swamp Thing? How about Han Solo's are non-negotiable? Let's do that. There we go. I like it. All right. We're, we're so not Maverick is our, <laughs> Maverick is our William Howard Taft because he's a little overweight. I, that's What's what I'm saying. Iceman and Top then Gun Howard in general. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Bye. All right. So we've got... Iceman's a better volleyball player. Han Solo. <laughs> Conspiracy Swamp Theory. Swamp Thing from Con Air. Denzel Washington from Flight and Gregory Peck. From no Fall shit. It, he had the look. Listen, he had whatever actor who played him. His camera at the end of the movie when they did the credits was him playing volleyball. It was not him on any flight. It was his volleyball flexing. You know, three second shot. This is why he was in Terry's like top five douchebags, and which is why I predicted that. Because that was still when I was predicting Terry's list at the same time. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Slider. Slider and I, I, Ellis from I love Die that Hard call. was he... like, that was obviously, those are obviously Terry's picks. <laughs> Slider's the worst. He's horrible. Uh... I've quoted Slider at work recently. It's, it's you like, did? yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Was that the line about his Johnson? Yes, which sounds curiously similar to the line in uh, Sideways. Uh, that's that's a great that's a great little exchange there. It's like how many butts did you have to kiss to get in here? Well, the list is long and distinguished. <laughs> <laughs> well, so is my Johnson. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Uh, all right. Done that's with that. A great, great dialogue. David Mamet <laughs> couldn't have written that. Uh, all right. Recasting time. We've got five people here we're going to try and recast. Starting with Maverick, played by Tom Cruise. I, I don't know about you guys. I tried to... I'll go first. I tried to stay away from, like, the the new cast because, it obviously, it's a new cast. So. Of course. Um, the hard part is, I mean, like I said, Tom Cruise was 24, there are no significant 24-year-old actors anymore. It just doesn't happen. So my pick for Maverick is Taron Edgerton. Kind of has that chip on his shoulder. A little vertically challenged. Young Han Solo. <laughs> no! No, not... No. Taron Edgerton, like Kingsman. Who's the one that played Solo? Uh, Alden Ehrenreich. Oh, they're not the same no. guy. They're not the same guy. <laughs> Are they basically the same guy, right? They're the same age. They're both British, right? Oh my gosh, that's the same guy. <laughs> Is Taron Edgerton British? Yeah, he's British. Oh, okay. Kingsman. I mean, that was his big break. Okay. So I see. Yeah. All right, uh, Zach. Who do you got? 
Uh, I have a serious pick and a not serious pick. My serious pick is Michael B. Jordan. I thought he was the obvious one. Oh, not serious pick. Old. I would love to see Pete Davidson in this role. I and now you'd be that. taking you'd be taking the story in a different direction, but in a weird way, I could actually kind of see it, and I could see it kind of working. And he's also eight feet tall. You can't have him. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I didn't realize that was going to have to be a prerequisite that he was going to have to be under, you know, five nine. But I still like my pig. Okay, so if you have the the who is the cockiest early twenties person in the world that you can think of. It's Logan Paul. Oh. That is the perfect map. <laughs> I like it. Every yeah, scene, that when wins. I thought of that, I was like, every scene after I was like, okay, Logan Paul has that owned. He just has to be himself. <laughs> wow. That's a good call. That's a good call. Mm-hmm. I like it. All right. Now let's go to Goose. Played by Anthony Edwards. While he still had hair, um, I'm I'm going a little. This is one I've never mentioned before. I don't know if it would even actually work. I'm going with Joe Keery, who's a, one of the kid, one of the guys from Stranger Things, one of the older ones. Oh, I think um, I know who you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, he's got he, he he's because if you're Goose, you got to have a sense of humor. You got to have some comedic timing to you, and he's got some of that. He was also just in Free Guy. Um, he was in a. He was in a bunch of commercials at one point. I forget what he was, what he was selling. But um, yeah, he's the guy with the hair. They probably wouldn't like you to say that on the air, Terry. <laughs> I don't remember what he was selling, but I remember the <laughs> the guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know, I know. But yeah, so so that's who I'm going with. I thought I, he's young, he's up and coming. I, I think he'd work. I don't think Anthony was was ever up and coming. <laughs> <laughs> Was he? It's because he never he never was had had the look. I mean, Goose he dies, went from being right. He went from being <laughs> Goose to being bald in ER. So, yeah. All right, Zach. All right, I decided to go uh, with uh, someone. Todd's going to say he's too old, but I don't care. I went with Ben Foster, someone who <laughs> is uh, challenged uh, with the hairline. Dude. I know he's too old, but I, it, you know, I listen. Goose is kind of old in this movie. He has a wife and a kid at this point. He's established in the the Navy ranks, so I could believe that he's uh, a little bit older. Zach's making the movie for, uh, you know, Top Gun for seniors. A bit. <laughs> Todd, what do you got? Alright, well, contrary to popular opinion on this podcast, uh, this guy is not too old for this role, and that is Ben Platt. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I thought I mean, about him. You did? A little bit, a little bit. <laughs> he, I don't know, I mean, I feel like he's super likable, and he, I, I, I don't know that he could actually be what Anthony Edwards is, but I don't know. There's something about his persona that that I I, I feel like could fit into that like lovable secondhand person in the movie, which is what he really should be. He shouldn't be the lead in any movie. So I don't know. That's all I got. Nice, nice. All right, Iceman, brought to us by Val Kilmer at his most Val Kilmeriest. Um, I don't love this pick, but I could totally see it working. I'm going with Liam Hemsworth. 
Mm. I mean, just just you know, your your like picture perfect like specimen and can exude all the cockiness in the world. I can see it work. Yeah, this is the easiest one to recast. You could go in a lot of different directions for it. I also went with someone who's probably five years too old for this role, but I'm going to go with it. It is Chris Evans. I thought that was an easy recasting, but for the 2015 version. Yeah, if you, you, know, like, if, if you go like Chris Evans in like Scott Pilgrim, mm -hmm. that'd be a great Iceman. I mean, how, how long ago was Top Gun Maverick supposed to come out anyway? Like, wasn't it scheduled for a 2015 release? So we'll call this the 2015 Ideals Top Gun Maverick Even recasting. So, what was the guy that was supposed to be that character, Terry? Glenn Powell? Glenn Powell, the other guy from uh, Hidden oh, Figures. Oh, from, from Everybody what? Wants Some. Everyone, everybody Wants Some, Hidden, Hidden Figures, figures yeah. yeah I love was, that actor. He's He's my age. He's born two months after I was. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. See the, the, yeah, there's no, there's no young actors that are worth anything anymore. All right. Well, one that is around the right age is Taylor Lautner. And that is exactly the kind of Iceman that we need in this movie. Cause I mean, Val Kilmer doesn't really do all that much, but he doesn't, he doesn't really need to, but I mean, Taylor Lautner, he's done. He this plays before. a lot with a pen. He does play a lot with a pen, and, and he, he possibly has the—he possibly has the worst line delivery of of anybody when he's, he's like, "Have figured it out yet? Who's the best pilot?" <laughs> like, yeah, there's dude. definitely a uh, clicking of teeth, like I'm way too high on cocaine kind of feel from <laughs> Iceman, and I think Taylor Launder could own that <laughs> at some point. It's—it's uh, it's this bizarre like exuding of energy yet still calm in everything he says yeah cocaine I, that, that's a good that's a good way to describe it okay uh next we've got charlie who is uh played by kelly mcgillis um so i i was trying to come up with someone that would fit more like the kelly mcgillis like type and then once i thought of margot robbie i thought it was like that that was too perfect, and it, it just fit. I could see her doing it. Yeah, that's kind of cheating. So I know, I know, yeah, but it was like Kelly McGillis wasn't really much of anything at the time. So. I know that's why I was trying to go with someone that would fit that a little more. But then I was like, no, Margot Robbie just she's perfect for that though. So I had to go with it. Or or we could just you know I could leave Liam Hemsworth as Iceman. I could make. Uh, Maverick Josh Hutcherson and then Charlie's gonna be Jennifer Lawrence and we just do a whole Hunger Games thing. Yeah, do the whole Hunger Games, Ender's game, you know, Twilight, you know. <laughs> I thought about Asa Butterfield. I thought <laughs> But you never considered Taylor Lautner for Iceman, which is I think is No, because he's too he's too bad of an actor. <laughs> I, th I mean, I think Balcomer is pretty bad in the, in the movie. But, I mean, it's because that's what it calls for. And that's, that's that is Taylor yeah. Lawner to a T. That's true. Okay, Zach? I went with Emma Stone because I remembered her role in Aloha when she wore a military uniform and was allegedly supposed to be Hawaiian, and she wasn't. Um, and uh, it's a terrible role. I, I wouldn't want any actress to be recast in this role, so let's go with 
someone who I think is sort of overrated as it is. Well, that's not really deserving of an that Oscar. That is a low and, blow. You think she Emma, can't do Emma British Stone accents? Is, Emma Stone is overrated because she can't do a Hawaiian actress or Hawaiian or British accents. Oh come on, she's not overrated. British. She's not. Uh, she was and good in the favorite. I was that, gonna that's say her best she's role. great in the favorite. She that was uh, that was her best performance. Yeah, you know no. the one where she did a British accent the whole time. You're, you she guys was are very, crazy. She was very good in that. Yeah, she can't okay. do a British accent. However, her be- the one yeah. movie she did a British accent in was her best performance. No, no, no. See, I'm I'm going off one of the Cruella. You guys g- gave know, me shit for saying she no. can't do a British accent. Todd was like, that's that's a low, that's an easy criticism. No, she can't do a British accent. She's been in the military in a movie before, in a in a weak movie that no one liked. So you know, put her in this movie. All right, but uh, this recasting is going so well as a actress, even though she was in Superbad. And Zombieland and tons of other amazing movies. It's, it kind of sucks. Okay, my... she was also in movie forty three. Yeah, so, so is every other person Hollywood. in Hollywood. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay, my Charlie is Dakota Johnson. Uh, because Ooh, I like it. Another one that I was going with, like, okay, who 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 was in the the popular teen shit at the time? I mean, Dakota Johnson. Taylor Lautner, you know, whoever else. I mean, yeah, they, these are all the people that, that uh, all the young people love, and that's, that's who's going to go see this PG-13 pilot movie in theaters. And, yeah, I mean, but I, I actually think she's actually decent. She was really good in, uh, was it Black Mass? And uh, I think she could she's be got, good. Oh, what <laughs> did she got network? this year? Was, was it, it Black Mass? That she, that, that it was, I think that was the thing she was in, right? What does she have this year? Is, is she in Lost Daughter? something she's in something this year where she's like some people are even saying she might have some awards buzz can i just ask the question why was kelly mcginnis cast in this movie i i think it's curious mcginnis excuse me i I just have guinness on the mind yeah it it was uh it was black mass hold on zach hold your thought i'm gonna look at what terry's talking about what yeah I'm, i'm looking it up here too yeah she's in the lost daughter with olivia coleman yeah, I mean, and well, and so yeah, so wouldn't that be interesting if her and uh, her uh, Fifty Shades of Grey person was nominated? Oh, what? Uh, yeah, and, and and the winner is the Twilight Girl. <laughs> exactly. That's what that's what I'm talking about. Taylor Lautner not in the race this year, by the way. <laughs> I don't know if he's made a movie since Abducted. Uh. All right. We're off the tracks here. We are. Way okay, off. let's let's wrap this up. The last one we're doing all together <laughs> is Viper, played by Tom Skerritt. And oh. now, okay, I, I I always find it fascinating. I mean, you look at Tom Skerritt, and to get someone who looks as old as Tom Skerritt does in this movie, you have to find someone that's like sixty five years old now. But he was like fifty five. He was fifty three. So fifty three. That's even worse. Um, the answer is Nicolas uh, Cage. Just, let's just get I mean, <laughs> I, that that is a good one. But I was gonna go with every movie's better with Kyle Chandler in it. So, oh man, yeah, <laughs> that's true. And yeah, he needs one of these roles. He's always in a military-ish role. He is. It's perfect. Zach didn't have a Viper. No, I thought Tom Skerritt could still play the role today. Yeah. <laughs> I love the Nicholas Cage what about casting. Stamp? 
apparently he looks like a Disney character. Um, I worked with a guy who recently retired who looked just like Tom Skerritt, but somebody else said he looked like uh, Vincent Price, like in the 80s. So, I mean, that guy, (laughs) I think he probably still could play this role. I think we just got to go with someone who can grow a mustache really well. I think that's that's probably a requirement for a lot of the characters in this movie. And that's fair. That's fair. I mean, if we're talking about great mustaches Josh in Brolin, the history, right? I was thinking Thomas Jane. I mean, where's yeah. he been? He had a great mustache in Boogie was Nights. Was that a real mustache though? I it, it it was it convinced me. Okay. All right, so He's still my it my, uh, my role for Nicolas Cage was Stinger. Who's Stinger? The bald guy that runs the ship. Oh, who smokes the cigar? Yeah, the one the one like like I could hear Nicolas Cage. Your ego's writing checks. Your body can't cash. Like, well, my Stinger actually was Josh Brolin. <laughs> I. I a lot of those, a lot of those scenes, um, I, I could just see him in, but I don't know. I mean, Nicolas Cage could have played like a few roles in this. It, it would have been a better movie. If Nicolas Cage, Nicolas Cage played every role in this. Honestly, <laughs> every male. It, it role. is a very, it is a very <laughs> Nicolas Cage esque movie. That's what I'm saying. Like this could have been like a, like a late '90s like Nicolas Cage movie. All right. I think Nicolas Cage could have played Wolfman with the with the big hat. By the way, were you getting some vibes from Wolfman with the hat of uh, uh, Burt Reynolds slash Turd Ferguson slash uh, Norm Macdonald a little bit with I that hat? That. That's the Wolf- only. Isn't Wolfman the one that's always talking about how he's got a heart on? Listen, the the only reason I knew Wolfman was because they showed him in the end credits with his hat. Otherwise, I didn't remember that character at all. Uh, and and he he was the he was the Rio for Hollywood, who they always just called Wood. So you yeah, had who's Wood Hollywood? and Hart on. I heard the and name Hollywood a lot. I thought I was watching like a Baltimore Ravens game or something. Like he was who, the who is... other pilot. He was the pilot yeah. that was gets shot the, down. Was he at the volleyball? Yeah, yeah. Was he at the volleyball game in the, in no, the showers? No, no. Hollywood is the one that gets shot down, which is why Maverick has to come in and save the day. Yeah, we'll get into that later. Yeah. Okay. Uh, highest war, Todd. Who's who's the highest war in this movie? I mean, that, that's the tough question. I mean, I have four written down. Why don't you go to one of you you people first? <laughs> okay. Uh, Zach, who do you have? Who's the highest war? Uh, I don't know. Um, I thought this was easy. Uh, let's go with uh, Tom Cruise. Why not? I don't know. It's a bad. I'll take the low hanging fruit. I I like him for all the unconventional reasons that we've already mentioned. Short, stocky, (laughs) unkempt a little bit. (laughs) Okay. My my pick for this, I mean, we talk about how over the top and and crazy this movie is, and there is one person who, just in his performance, is able to keep this movie grounded, and that's Anthony Edwards' goose. Mm. Like he is he is the highest war because he is the only thing that doesn't feel 
like he's trying to say a catchphrase every time something comes out of his mouth. Just because he is so grounded and down to earth and normal that, um, yeah, he and he plays it perfectly. He plays it perfectly. No, no, no. There's there's two O's in goose. <laughs> Take me home, baby. <laughs> <laughs> His rendition of Great Balls of Fire is certainly to be commended. Yes. That's yes. true. Yeah, which we mentioned on our last podcast, right? <laughs> I think we did. <laughs> Wait, no, it was something about our, yeah, it was something about musical performances or something. I don't know. <laughs> oh. That might and, been, and that performance came up? That might have been three ago. Because, yeah, it was something about, like, it has to be a musical performance in a musical. Not How so, come? So you can't say say goose and yeah you said great balls of fire and i said uh no it's uh you've lost that love and feeling how how has top gun not become a musical like do you realize how much singing there is in this movie (laughs) Uh, should be on broadway yeah Todd. i mean i guess i'll go with james tolkien as stinger because i don't know who else that was the other one like that Top I mean, Gun, God help us! You know, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, maybe it's the he was the only one that thing. was like appropriately know. over the top. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's a great character, and I feel like if that movie was made today by a better director, that 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 role actually would have been singled out by uh, like the Golden Globes or something. I don't know who it would have been, but you know. I mean, maybe like Arlie Ermy. Or Dale Die. Oh, yeah. Could see, have played this is that exactly role. what I'm talking about. But but it, it had it like you had to get the this is a former military turned actor vibe from the from that guy. Like I said, what Josh Brolin. Like I mean, I feel like he could have been nominated for playing that role. Adam Driver was in the military. That that is true. <laughs> he could have done that. He could have been Iceman. He should have been Iceman. Yeah, yeah. He would have made a good Iceman. And then, and then Matt Damon should have been Maverick, and you have oh, the last man. duel in the air. I could just picture Adam Driver being like... <laughs> <you know>. <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Let's make that shit happen. Remake. Uh, Ridley Scott directed. Not, not Tony. Ridley. <laughs> Alright, who's the worst performance? Todd, you get to go first on this one. Uh, I know I the s- list is long and distinguished. <laughs> exactly, yeah. I said John Stockwell, who plays Cougar. And oh, I thought Cougar was fine. No, I mean, he, I mean, he's he's the worst pilot, and he he just does a terrible job at selling it about about how like mentally not into it he was at the time. I don't know. I thought he was terrible, like. Honestly, yeah, at the beginning of the movie, I was like, uh, am I really going to sit through this because of that shit? But no, I mean, it gets better. <laughs> John Stockwell is not good. Uh, I think if anyone who takes a picture of their wife and kid and puts it on the control panel probably deserves to get shot and die. But he didn't. Well, he was he was having a panic attack. He was having a panic attack. Or something. I don't well, know what he was having. Was inverted communicating yeah keeping up what did what kind of foresight did maverick have to bring a polaroid camera with him on that 
flight. That's, no, no, it was Goose. That's some it was skills. Goose. Goose had the camera. Or Goose. Okay. I got a Polaroid of it. We. Thank you. <laughs> All right, Zach. This is the worst uh, performance. Easy call, Rick Rosovich as Slider, <laughs> for all the reasons we've mentioned. On. Yeah, well, he so is, is my Johnson. Douchebag ever. <laughs> Th- that is not a bad performance. That is a bad. That is a very, very. I think. Bad, it, I think it is character. a top top ten worst performance of the eighties. There's no points for yeah. second place. It, You're a lot it is a genuinely <laughs> horrible performance in a movie full of horrible performances that okay. distinguishes itself as the worst performance, which is impressive, I guess, at a certain level. He's a bad human being, but I mean, okay. <laughs> the, the The problem is Zach, and no offense, but y- you named the best performance in Little Children as a char- because of a character that wasn't in the scene that you were talking about. So, we can't actually take this. I don't know what you're talking about. You said Jennifer Connelly, because of the notes she writes to the Patrick Wilson character, she wasn't yeah. in that scene. And you're that like, was that's the best performance. Oh, oh, wait, maybe she wasn't in that scene. <laughs> Did you see that Jennifer Connelly's in Top Gun Maverick? Yes, yes. I thought She's that like was very interest. curious. That is yeah. unbelievable. <laughs> How do we bring this full circle? Full circle. Why is Little Children circle. ever related to Top Gun? Uh, all right. Get on so with my... the door, Phil. <laughs> well, Thomas and Mackenzie was supposed to be in Top Gun Maverick as well. She dropped out to be in Last Night in Soho. That was probably a good call. Uh, um, okay. I, don't know. I mean, I'm probably, but uh, who would have replaced Thomas and Mackenzie in that role? We'll have to look it up. Oh, oh, who would have in Last Night in Soho? We'll have to look up who replaced her in Top Gun. Logan Paul, for sure. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Dead ringer for Anya Taylor Joy. Uh, (laughs) Okay. My worst performance in (laughs) Top My worst performance in Top Gun. I was, I did have Slider written down, and then at the last minute, I changed it for the radar technician at the end. Um, who also gives some pretty horrible line delivery. Oh, Maverick disengaged. Oh, Maverick's re-engaged. And he's just like, oh, there's this many. Oh, there's this many. He's horrible. With with Stinger mm. looking over his shoulder. Like, how many miles out are they now? It, he, yeah. And also looks you can like also they, say they, they were in like some sort of submarine when they were doing that, too. It was kind of weird. Yeah, they... Yeah, it was like he yeah. was preparing for Crimson Crimson Tide or something. I don't know. Amazing Larry Big Tim High Roller minor character of the movie award. Zach, uh, my favorite minor character. I can't find him on IMDb anywhere. Maybe Terry, you know his character name. I'm gonna call him Coffee Man. I think Coffee Man in this movie. Oh, the, the one the that guy was holding who, the coffee. The guy who holds the coffee and then spills it. When oh, Maverick himself? flies past, oh, the and it's it's a, it's a few different times, is it it's not? The same that guy. he has Airboss multiple coffee spills. Duke Stroud as, as Airboss Air Johnson. <laughs> Airboss Johnson. I need some butts. <laughs> yeah, it's the same guy, dude. I mean, that's just lack of research on your part. <laughs> I, I listen, man. Shirt. I watched this movie that two hours ago. Air I can't do Boss research across the front. <laughs> it does. It's a giant. <laughs> Giant letters, Air Boss. 
I just want to know, you know, you're work you're working at Top Gun, right? You're at this Negative prestige Navy Academy and you can't control your copy when a fighter jet flies by you on multiple occasions too. He said no. Yeah, he has permission and he said no. <laughs> Uh, <clears throat> all right my my favorite minor character is merlin played by tim mm. robbins um he he's he has the worst luck because he gets cougar in the middle of this of this you know panic attack and then he has to be the real for for maverick when he doesn't know what's going on you're and, gonna uh, do what that's the best line in the movie you're gonna do what <laughs> Merlin then, is like he's like an NFL backup who should never be a starter under any circumstances. Yeah. Well, and then and then when they get off like when Brock they get off the plane, Coyle. they're having the celebration, and you see just Brody how Coyle? Brock Tim, Coyle. I don't know. I don't know who that you is. You see just how much Tim Robbins is like a foot and a half taller than Tom Cruise. Yeah, that's what I was going to wonder <laughs> yeah, about. Is that kind of weird? They should never be standing next to each other. My, my other my other favorite. Uh, is uh oh no Todd you'll go you'll go and then I'll I'll say my other ones, go ahead. Oh, I mean I have two written down. I don't okay, know. go ahead. I think my favorite model character is Carol, played by Meg Ryan. Yes, I had that yeah, one written down. Too. Yeah, we need to talk about her because I don't know. You totally know those kind of ladies that are like, I don't know the first words. Like, are kind of outing themselves at the same, uh, you know, like, they're so, sort of semi-dumb blonde. But, I mean, she's a little bit smarter than you think. It's like, you know, and, and obviously, one of the best lines is, you know, take me to bed or lose me forever. It's like, I... I you forgot the, the first part of that line. Hey, Goose, you big stud! Yeah, she's <laughs> awesome. I love that character. And, she is awesome. Can I can I change my war pick? She she deserves it. She she's amazing in this movie. The problem with with naming her the highest war is that Rosanna Arquette could have also killed that performance too. Oh, that's a good call. Well, I mean, yeah, a lot of Tarantino actresses could have done that. I mean, Uma Thurman at the time could have done that too. Or, or Farrah Fawcett. I got some real strong Farrah Fawcett um, vibes from her. Well, yeah, if it had been made ten years earlier. But this is also and, yeah, Reynolds maybe. actually was Wolfman. <laughs> was this like the first? Now time we're we talking seventies we casting. Meg Ryan, though. I it, I think it was. I I can't I don't know anything yeah, I've ever I'm... seen before nineteen eighty six Meg Ryan. I All saw right. her in that Look movie where she was in uh, Martin Short's body, uh, Inner Space. This also could have been a Julia Roberts role. Yeah. That would have been really good I don't know if she could have if Julia Roberts could have pulled it off though. Alright, before Top Gun, she was in uh yeah. I like that her name is it ends in an E. That, she was that's in never As mentioned the in the world movie. Turns. And Carol a with couple an other e TV nice. shows. So she was like a soap opera actress before Top Gun. I like her hairdo too. Her hairdo looks pretty freaking crazy. It's almost like it's like a hat almost. Yeah, she's hot as shit. <laughs> yeah, and you almost kind of wonder, like that scene where they do ha they do go to the bar, the Kansas City bar, and he's and and Goose is playing the piano. Why couldn't Meg Ryan have been the Kelly McGillis character? I think she kind of she kind of could have killed it. I mean that 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 was what I was thinking too, but I mean she wasn't a thing yet. Kelly McGillis kind of was. 
I think that, I think we we call that on to, on Tony. I mean, I think Tony should have looked at that and said, "We got we need to have the rules reversed here a little bit." Or how about a young Virginia Madsen? You know, get Maya in there. I mean, this is this is right around this you know the stage of her kind of up and coming. It's still is right. Uma Thurman to me. Well, the only other one I wrote. I think Uma Thurman was like sixteen years old. I think she's way way too young for that. Oh whatever. She could have done it anyway. The only one other one I had <laughs> written down was Jester, because I love I love Michael Ironside in this. Like woohoo, Jester's dead. He looks like an instructor, like from that moment on, and he's like the Colonel Markinson of the of the movie. I feel like, right? Yes. <laughs> Because he's in the background of those scenes with, uh, you know, with the with the head bosses, and it's just like that is exactly the way Colonel Marcuson was the entire time in a figured man. Which Zach doesn't know what I'm talking about because no. we we only did a recasting of that. We we need to actually deep dive that next year. We do. We do need to deep dive that next year. And Zach will actually give a legitimate recasting, not you know the bullshit that he gave. You know, what. 18 months ago whatever the hell we did that i don't know <laughs> so so my my other favorite minor character was sundown uh yeah who was uh the yeah, only black person in the movie clarence yeah. gilliard jr who was yeah um tom cruise's backup backup rio after goose dies yeah thankless um, thankless uh role to be in he's also the one if you if you remember he's also the one that uh that takes over the microphone after uh tom cruise gets his seat and you've lost that love and feeling. It. I thought it was kind of interesting and ballsy that he was confronting Tom Cruise after they landed. It was yeah. like you didn't you didn't do your job, mm-hmm. and he he was not afraid to get in Tom Cruise's face, even more so than Val Kilmer gets in his face, but in a non homoerotic way. I want to know. Here's here's what I want to know though, and maybe this is going to like like flaws, conspiracy theories. How does Sundown end up being like a lone Rio at Top Gun? Or, or was he just doing him a favor and he had a pilot he was there with? It didn't make any sense to me. He's just like a free agent, you know? <laughs> Signs on, whoever needs him. Apparently. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Stickman douchebag. Uh, I'll go first um, because they're, 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 uh, they're partners here. My stickman is Iceman. My douchebag is Slider. Because they're I mean, connected. Those are the obvious head. picks. They're, they are con- connect. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well played. Well played. As, as Slider would say, so is my Johnson. Um, <laughs> I mean, but but like even in that, even in the bar, Iceman's chatting it up with a couple girls, you know, before he goes and clicks his gum with his drink, um, and. Uh, Plus, I, I think I think it's interesting. I, I think it adds to the douchiness of of Iceman, not necessarily Slider. They're 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 kind of combined in the two two roles. Uh, that uh, his name turned out to be like dangerously close to the name of the Unabomber. <laughs> like like his name is like Ted Kazansky. Oh, oh yeah, <laughs> that was going to be one of my questions too. What what was his real name? <laughs> yeah, I think it was Ted even. It's not Ted. No, what was it? Was <laughs> all right. I'm looking this up. All right, well, yeah, you guys go. I uh, douchebag and stickman. I I had the same two except reverse. I went with uh, 
Iceman as the douche. Tom. In it was Plus. Tom Kazansky. Tom Kazansky. That is a Ted little similar Kaczynski. to Ted, Kids, Ted Kaczynski. That adds to his douchiness. I'm guessing that Tom <laughs> Kazansky didn't uh, wasn't a math math genius at Michigan like the Unabomber was. But I, but Slider is smarter than he looks for knowing there's no points for second place. Yeah, the biggest douchebag was definitely Slider. Uh, the the Stickman I had. I mean, I had the two that you said, but, or no, I mean, I had Maverick, Iceman, but my best one is Air Boss Drowser, just because <laughs> yes. he probably got some bus. If that's his attitude... He wasn't spilling coffee, he pro- could probably get some more. I want some butts, at some point you're gonna get some butts. <laughs> <laughs> you should just end the podcast right there that's that's the answer oh man well that was my quote of the day damn it <laughs> <laughs> that's twice i won some butts uh all right what's the best scene <laughs> todd what's the best scene in the movie well, I mean, there is a scene when Tarantino's talking about how everyone's getting a grips of their gayness, but that's not in the same movie. Um, I don't know. I mean, the one I really like is when Charlie chases down Maverick in her car. He's on his motorcycle because he is, like, full-on... He is Daniel Caffey there. He is Ethan Hunt there. He's like... <laughs> And you're talking about, I'm being reckless, you know what you're talking about, because, you know, I mean, is is full-on, like, a few good men there, and, I mean, he's also sort of bewildered to the fact that he already got the girl, and he doesn't even know you that he got the girl. You can't handle the truth! Exactly. He, he doesn't even know, he doesn't even know that he already won. <laughs> I, it's a great scene. And, I mean, plus the chase scene is completely ridiculous and obscene, and stupid action movie 1980s kind of thing because he's on a motorcycle and she's on a she's in her actual car and she's like she's breaking more traffic laws than he is i don't know that's a great scene i i I love when it actually culminates into uh into their confrontation outside her place or his place or wherever the hell that is i don't even know i don't know if it was at anybody's place yeah it was that side of a road i think he just pulled off because (laughs) he saw her go through the go through the stop sign yeah Alright, Zach? I thought her car was interesting, by the way. It was kind of like a Studebaker or something. Like a Mr. Magoo car, maybe. I don't know. Um, my uh, Obviously, best scene in the movie is the volleyball scene. No question. Of and the, the best thing about the volleyball scene is the fact that they all have their shirts off, but they're all still wearing really tight jeans. Now, I can <laughs> speak from experience for this. That when you're wearing a, tight jeans, you I can't... Have, yeah. Like, th- those are super tight 80s jeans. You're not going to get a lot of, like, leverage with that. You're not going to get a lot of lift. You're not going to get... You're going to get a lot of support. But that's not what you want in, in beach volleyball, if we're speaking from experience here. Mm-hmm. I also love that Tom Cruise... I mean, he was... For, uh, first of all, I, I, all, I love all the spectators <laughs> at the volleyball game. There's, like, literally 50 <laughs> dudes at, at sitting on the sidelines there. Like, this is a huge freaking event this volleyball game that has enormous stakes it's like it's like the it's like the water volleyball game in meet the parents okay it's a huge plot turning point 
But then what I love about shot. it too playing, is that Tom Cruise is late for boys. his date with <laughs> Kelly McGinnis. And you've got to think how bad he must smell. Like he's got his his dirty jeans on. <laughs> he wanted with to his take sh- a shower. He did want to take a shower, and for good reason. Same scene, though. Yeah, it, isn't it? Well, it's it's immediately after. But... Yeah, because he leaves the game early to go to her place, but he doesn't even think to take a shower. And he, I, I don't did. know. I, he well, he did, did eventually. She said, but no, I, there's no time for I that. I love how I love we how she bang. was like. She, yeah. Well, no. I. And it, that wasn't even the same scene. But yeah, I think there were was. a couple scenes where he says no, he wanted to take a no. shower but didn't. I think that they, was a pro- flaw with the character. After the traffic thing. Not enough showers after for the Maverick. Chase. The more shower scenes for this movie. This movie was uh, not enough shower sequences. I think is the real flaw. All right, my best scene is the bar scene at the beginning. Um, because it, it's just—I mean—you get introduced to all the characters, exactly who they are. Iceman, Slider. You get no. the bet. Okay, the but bet okay, is twenty dollars. The best time to get introduced to the characters was the first scene that Charlie is actually the instructor. You get True. everything True. you know. Like, I mean, you get yeah, you get everything you need to yeah. know. Yeah, but like, uh, like but uh, I, Iceman's like you know bullshit, you know, and <laughs> and I, and you know Maverick's doing his whole inverted thing. Like, I don't know. I mean, and McGillis well, is, while she's while at, at, Goose is dropping jokes every every five seconds, and McGillis yeah, that's, is that's, at the top of her hotness in that in that role. I mean, that that is that is the scene. But but the bar scene, you you get everything with the with you've lost that love and feeling. I I, I love the the just the exchange between between Maverick and Goose when it's like, all right, the bet is twenty dollars. You have to have carnal knowledge of a lady, of a lady this, lady this time. time. A, a, <laughs> Which a we lady quoted, this time. We quoted that on a podcast recently. I don't know. Yeah, what I think it was, it was last about. week. What was yeah, it? I don't know. I yeah, don't okay. remember. And we then, didn't actually and then, listen uh, to our own podcast. On, on the premises. <laughs> on the premises. And Someone then, out there, tell us when we when we said it. Yeah. All, then, all the listeners he, out there. And then he's like, there. she's lost that love said. and feeling. <laughs> and, then, and then he says, she's lost that love and feeling. And Goose is like, no, no, she ha- no, she hasn't. I hate it when she does that. I mean, that that's, that's just a such scene. a, yeah, it's a great, a great scene. It's a great line. And, and the way it all plays out. And, and then as she's walking out, even though she told him off, your friend was amazing. <laughs> it, it's just it's just perfect and then it leads into that next scene where they're they're keeping up with foreign relations i want to know what happened when he got carnal knowledge of a dude because that's so <laughs> yeah. obvious in that scene because the emphasis was on the lady on the premises too well i mean i mean he probably like called his mom at one point right <laughs> sword uh... fight sword fight <laughs> Why wasn't Goose shirtless? That's what I wanted to know. Like, like, he was just as ripped as, as Tom Cruise was. Yeah, he wasn't exactly taft in the situation. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Okay. I mean, alright, our next question is if there were a sequel, but there's about to be a sequel, so... I have honestly to have nothing written down. I, I, I yeah. usually do have something, but no, I don't have nothing. I was just going to add that um, this is peripherally related, but at the, on the, the Blu-ray release of it, it's it's the only time I've ever seen on a DVD or Blu-ray an extra feature 
that featured the sequel to the movie that hasn't been released yet. So, like, they had interviews with Miles Teller and then the guy from Everybody Wants Some, and they had them listed as Top Gun Maverick. They even had the director of Top Gun Maverick, and it hasn't been released yet. I've never seen that happen Was before. Was it Joseph Kaczynski? Yes, Ted Kaczynski, Joseph Unabomber. Kaczynski. He's the director. No, it's the guy who did, like, that Tom Cruise movie. Or, I don't know what that is. Oblivion! <laughs> Oblivion! Oh, okay. Yeah, that's okay. right. Yeah, that was like in 2013, I think. Yeah, about that, yeah. But also, another curious thing about the the Blu-ray is the making... It has... I've seen the, the, the longest making of documentary I've ever seen for a movie, and it's two and a half hours long, which is <laughs> amazing. longer than the actual movie? <laughs> yes. That's awesome. Extensive details. By the way, interesting side note... Uh, you guys were at my wedding, I believe, and uh, they housed the cast and crew of this movie at the same place where I got married in San Diego. Oh, that, that beach? <laughs> yeah, that beach, the the Bahia Resort. That's funny. That's amazing. Were, were we could have had a sword foot? fight. Is, is the question? <laughs> oh, I was gonna, and I was gonna ask: Does uh, what is what is are Sammy's thoughts about Top Gun? Oh, she loved it. I mean, she's she's watched it many times. Yeah. I, I was trying to have my pithy commentary throughout the movie, and she was shushing me. I mean, <laughs> she is, was, like, into the movie. Her brother loves it, too. Uh, she, a legitimate, true fan of the movie. Okay, okay, good. Pithy commentary, good. just like uh, I like everybody loves Raymond or whatever. And what, it, what is that? Is that knocked up? <laughs> God, I, I can't even remember. Like those after- I don't know what yes. wavelength you're on. Yes, it's, <laughs> you're thinking of knocked up. All right. Yeah. Flaws, outdated conspiracy theories. I've got a couple things I want to mention here. First, I don't know if you guys did any sort of deep dive into the IMDb page, but. Buried at the bottom of the cast list on the IMDb, IMDb page is an uncredited appearance by Wilson the Volleyball. I just had to point that out. Why? No, that's not that's not a real thing, is it? Look on IMDb. Oh my god. <laughs> You're right. But why? Like that was Cause there's a volleyball scene. I mean he he's it says he pops up in Wow. In, and he in has an IMDb page. Top gun. He's been away, and then he there's was also a TV in the show. Peter Austin Noto show. Yeah, and then there does was some, there was own, something else. The Almost Daily Show. The was Almost it, Daily that, Show. That's the Almost Daily Show. That's our podcast. <laughs> the, the Almost Sideways Daily Show. That's isn't was. <laughs> are we so drunk that we can't okay. remember Wilson <laughs> being a guest on our podcast? I can't handle this. Wait. wait. <laughs> wait. He was one of Adam's guests. He must have been. He must have been. We 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 missed that episode. But yeah, it says he's in. God it says damn it! Wilson the volleyball is in Top Gun. Wilson should have got and highest more than almost daily show. <laughs> Wait, so I I still don't understand you... this. How how? <laughs> there was a, a volleyball scene, so it does make sense. Scene. So they're saying in that volleyball scene, it was Wilson the volleyball they were playing with. But the problem with that that. is that the volleyball in Castaway was not taken out of the package (laughs) when he made the flight with Tom Hanks. Oh, and that that volleyball looked like crap, too, in 1986. Um, It also says that Wilson the Volleyball was in a documentary short in 2001 called Wilson, The Life and Death of a Hollywood Extra. (laughs) Wow. That is beautiful. He also made three appearances on Saturday Night Live. (laughs) (laughs) 
One of them was with Tom Hanks. <laughs> Another one was with Jennifer Lopez. Anyways, the fact that there is a Wilson the Volleyball IMDb page and that's they say, amazing. They say it's an uncredited appearance in Top Gun. And he's is playing just with amazing. them boys. He was because he was playing with them boys. Yeah. Um, and my conspiracy theory is I have a feeling this is going to look different when we get to uh, Top Gun Maverick. But my conspiracy theory is that Goose's son becomes Dr. Green in ER. Who is the Anthony Edwards character. Yeah, I wasn't used to seeing Anthony Edwards with hair. That was a bit yeah. of a shock. Or a mustache. Mm -hmm. that. Yeah. Who had the best mustache in this movie? Some real oh, competition Scarrett. there. Scared had the best mustache. Yeah, but he always has the mustache. You know, saying, that's, his, yeah, that's I mean, a trademark. That's like seeing Burt Reynolds. If he's in a movie, it's obviously his best mustache. All right. You guys have anything else? Oh, I had a couple points. Although I got to say, I'm really distracted by this Wilson page. I'm just going to put, <laughs> put that off for later. Um, I was just going to say, uh, how does Tom Skerritt's wife know Maverick? And like, who is Tom Skerritt's wife? Like, that's such a random scene. It's like, she's like, oh, hi, Maverick. It feels like that scene in uh, The Room when it's like, oh, hi, Johnny, when he's getting the flowers. It just felt really weird and misplaced. I just um, kind of felt it was, you know, he comes home and tells her everything, and so she knows who but she, But she's never in a scene prior to that. That's true. It was like maybe they shot a scene, but it didn't make the final cut or something. That could be. Um, why are they in the Indian Ocean? Aren't they fighting the Soviets? Like, why would, why would no, this be Vietnam. happening? it was Vietnam. Are we sure? I mean, they I think didn't. It, I, they I think never it says he was killed in the... Vietnam. Right, but the, why is the carrier in the ocean in the Indian Ocean though? Shouldn't it be? Oh, 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 oh! I thought you were talking about about. No, I'm not talking about uh, Duke. Dad. Not Duke. No, um, I'm talking about the beginning and the end of the movie. Why it takes place in the Indian Ocean? Yeah, I don't know. It, I, it, that doesn't it, make it any sense. It kind of keeps the enemy completely like unidentifiable. Like, you, you assume it's the Soviets, but they never have actually any identifying features. Okay. Um, how did uh, it get so loud in that bar when they were singing You Lost That Love and Feeling? It sounded like he actually got on the PA system. He picked that... up a karaoke mic. I also but love the whole that bar the started guy singing. who takes it up after him, he's like, for you, or whatever. I mean, that was sundown. That was sundown. Yeah, th that guy is, yeah, I don't know. That was a great part. Yep. And uh, my last point was that Cougar's wife looks like Kathy Lee Gifford. Not, not a compliment. <laughs> I got a wife and kid. Never even met him. Cougar, Cougar's the loser of this movie. He should have been the LVP, but we haven't got. Oh, I've yet. got a better LVP. Okay. Right. Oh, we haven't gotten uh, there. Okay, so Shit. my flaws. Uh, I don't think the physics make any any sense in this movie. It's like, yeah, we'll slam on the brakes and they'll <laughs> go right past us, just like you know, like they're in a car, like like in a Pineapple Express. You know, they actually make fun of that. But I mean, this is a several thousand pound like airliner. How is it gonna stop? like right on the yeah. carrier so 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 uh yeah the 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 slam on the brakes and it'll fly right by us that actually i i've heard there's no such thing as brakes in the air however the move he actually does is actually possible because what, what he does is he is he like jumps up which slows him down 
which and immediately reengages and allows him to hop in behind. But that's not what he says. But no, okay. it's not I what mean, he says. I get it. But I get it. Yeah, it, it, it's possible. There's Either no way. Breaks, I don't but understand what he did physics, but I know it doesn't make any sense. Okay, but the other thing is, I don't actually understand what the <laughs> radar intercept op- officer actually does. Yes, that's a great point. Which is the person who is behind the actual person who is driving the plane. What do they do? Like, all I ever see in this movie is them whipping their head around and being like, Oh, shit! They're back there! No. That cannot be what what that person's job is. Their job is to watch the radar and be the eyes of of the pilot on everything that's going on around because the pilot's got to keep his eyes forward. And given that it's Merlin and Hot Rod, or whatever his name is. Sundown. Sundown. Goose. He's not the most talented people in the world doing that job. No. Wolfman. Probably. Yeah. (laughs) Slider. Yeah, I mean, it's it's all bad. I I do I I I don't understand what that person's actually doing because uh, like every time I watch it, I'm like, why are you there? Why are you important? Come on, do something. Uh, you're gonna do what? <laughs> exactly. All right. LVP MVP, and then we'll wrap this thing up. Uh, we'll go to Zach first. Well, the MVP of this movie is Wilson the Volleyball, because if he's really in the movie, he's in the best scene in the movie. <laughs> and the LVP is Cougar. I, I touched on it earlier, but Cougar, listen, man, I mean, lots of people sweat in this movie. Lots of people go through some serious stress. Do you know how bad that must have been to get? He He was in first place before Maverick overtook him. And they Maverick let didn't this overtake pr- him. Cougar quit. Well, and, and that's another thing. How does Cougar quit? Doesn't the Navy, doesn't the U.S. military own you? You can't just yes, say, yes. I'm not going to do it you anymore. Can still, but I think it, you can turn in your wings and give up being a pilot, but you're still in the military. Cougar Cougar was a loser. Cougar is also the name of George Costanza's boss in one of the episodes of Seinfeld. with uh, uh, And the, the name uh, of some Julie Louis-Dreyfus actual TV show, right? Cougar Town. Yeah! Wow, that's a mind-blowing fact. No, it was the it was the Festivus for the rest of us. Cougar. Yeah, I think it's actually Kruger, but Jerry Stiller calls him Cougar. <laughs> Terry, go. <laughs> all, all right. Oh, I'm next. Okay, so my my LVP is Hollywood, because Hollywood is horrible, and I'm, they never with, really yeah, talk I'm much about actually. this. But Hollywood's terrible. I mean, he's obviously in third place the entire time yeah he goes down they lost down at like 30 seconds like to yeah jester yeah he he oh yeah yeah and and that's the thing he he loses immediately to jester and it's like and and they're even like he doesn't care i'm like he's just like like, where'd he go and he's like who where'd who go he was on the radio laughing at us like you know whatever i don't care you know yeah 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 and then and then he gets and then he gets shot down which is why maverick has to go out in the end yeah they get knocked out but he's the only one who he's the only one who defends maverick though he says that was the gutsiest move he's ever seen he's the only one who comes to maverick's defense because hollywood has never actually made a move (laughs) <laughs> yeah well Holly- yeah hollywood yeah Ho- he's he's the lvp those guys 
Uh, yeah, Hollywood and Cougar. I, I, I have nothing to say about those guys. <laughs> my, my, my MVP, my MVP is Kenny Loggins, because oh, yeah. that, that, that is a banging soundtrack. That's, I have the soundtrack. Dude, yeah. that's amazing, suck, dude. That was my MVP. <laughs> Not not Berlin. I mean, they're the ones who won the Oscar. It's true. It's well, true. I don't know. My LVP is the air conditioning in Miramar. Because <laughs> why? Why is everyone have to sweat so damn much? <laughs> it's ridiculous. To get, to take a shower. More showers. <laughs> and my MVP, I mean, I guess I could say Tony Scott. Because, I, I don't know. I don't know who else could have done that. The guy who did True Romance is really directed this movie it's pretty awesome but kenny loggins really is the he's the guy you know danger zone playing with them boys like i don't, I don't even know i mean i can't i can't think of another soundtrack that i more associate with one movie than this one and that's saying a lot yet yet it the, the oscar went to the uh writer of uh Take my breath away. Was "Take My Breath Away" even in this movie? Yeah, it's I, a I love can hear scene. the songs. But it's I, a love scene. Like the notes of it, but they, did they ever actually sing it? They yeah, sing it the love twice. scene. Every every time twice. he goes to her house. Can we? We haven't mentioned that so love scene. That has to be one of the worst love scenes of all time. That's what I'm saying. What are they doing with their tongues? It looks disgusting. <laughs> yeah, I mean, LVP is tongues. <laughs> Uh, all right. Quote of the daytime. Uh, I'm I am shocked that my quote. I mean, we've quoted like this entire movie by the time we get to the end of this podcast. But amazingly, this quote has not been said yet, and it's one of my favorite quotes from Top Gun. It it it's Maverick. He looks at Slider, and all he says is, "Slider, you stink." <laughs> It's like, because he says this, because Slider has a stupid, like, uh, just, just a stupid put down for Maverick. And all he does is look at him and just says Slider and he sniffs and says, you stink. And that's all he needed to say. And Slider was done. <laughs> it's great. All right, Zach. Uh, my favorite quote comes from Airboss Johnson, who says, Two of you, your snot-nosed jockeys, did a flyby on my tower at over 400 knots. I want somebody's butt. I want it now. I've had it. We've already mentioned that. I want some but butts. I don't have another quote. <laughs> I want some butts. It's a That's great twice. Quote. I want some butts. <laughs> uh, Airboss Johnson. That is a great character. He does, Is, is Airbus, he in a spinoff? Airboss Johnson should have been played by Clint Howard. Mm. Airboss Johnson sounds like he should be a character in a Disney Pixar movie. <laughs> uh, all right, Todd, bring us home. Well, my quote comes from Maverick, and he says, which I feel like every time I do this podcast, he's like, that son of a bitch cut me off. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good call. It's a good call. <laughs> And with that, we're going to draw this podcast to a glo- close. Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, make sure you subscribe, people rate, are review. Listening. Yeah, if you're still listening, like, good good on you. Uh, we'll be back at you next week with another episode. Until then, have fun, <laughs> have fun watching movies, and we'll catch you on the flip side.
Despite your crass behavior, I'm glad we were able to do this together.